welcome to another episode of Renegade Detroit Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Burgess, professional real estate investor, permaculture and urban farmer, curmudgeon and skeptic for those of you you listening in for the first time. uh, Renegade Detroit Investors, now referred to as RDI, is a local real estate investment and business group, kind of like a club. We meet monthly at various locations throughout much of Detroit. Uh, This group we focus mostly on networking and doing deals. This isn't your grandma's Ria. No sales from the front. No smell. No smell of stale coffee, Ben Gay, and or disappointment. The other part of RDI is this podcast, where once a week I sit down with interesting people, hopefully, getting shit done. I pick their brain for your amusement, and hopefully, education. If you enjoy this podcast, it is a free podcast. Please give it a like and share it across the internet. It really helps. If you have any questions or suggestions, um, go ahead and leave me a comment or send me a message. Go to renegadedetroit.com. Yes, I realize the website hasn't been updated. Maybe by the time you listen to it, we're about two months away. Renegadedetroit.com. And for the local monthly meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash renegadedetroitinvestors. Or go to Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. You can also search us on YouTube under Detroit Wholesalers and give me a follow at Jeremy Burgess on Twitter. Um, Also time for our legal disclaimer. In no way, shape, or form should anything that I and or my guest or guests say should be taken as legal and or investment advice. We highly recommend that before you make any investment decision or decisions, contact a lawyer and or other licensed professionals Make your decision yourself, be an adult, and don't fucking sue me. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that aside, welcome. Today, we have Dave Deska from DM Valuations. Dave has been doing appraisal since uh, you got started in 1977. Yep, I worked for my dad. Wow. As a 17-year-old. Still got wet it. behind the ears. Dull, oh, yeah. You can't, you can't get any... Entry level, more entry level than I was doing, but that was also 1977 before computers. So yeah, I said you use a, a typewriter. Or? No, I got my dad came home. If you remember 1977, you got the three by five punch cards. I wasn't even born in 1977. Yeah, that's the problem. We got these punch <laughs> cards, and it, would, it had an address, and I had they came in long boxes, and there was hundreds of them in the boxes. And that's how I started. My dad brought these home. Each one of them had an address on it. Back in the day, most mortgage companies kept their own paper. So they wanted to know how the computer, they finally got away. It was right at the start of computer. So they ended up printing up all these cards. So they wanted wow. to know what these houses looked like. So I got a Polaroid camera and boxes of these cards. I had to take a AAA map, open it up. Wow, that's some old school shit right there. Well, yeah, it was nothing. There was no CDs or yeah, anything. No there was CDs. nothing. There I wasn't mean, even a floppy disk. Yeah. No, this you had to run. <laughs> when I went to Michigan Tech in 79, we would hand type up these cards. You would take them up to the computer lab, and there was a reader, and you'd put them in, and they just flop through like a copy machine kind of thing. Then you would come back. Four hours later, six hours later, depending on That's what the time was. And you'd go up there and, oh, you know, card number 452 had a typo. So you have to pull that card out, 
retype it, reinsert it, go back to the lab, reprint it. Wow. Just to get a paper printout, which was like a continuous paper. It was like paper towel. Just get, come out when you got done, you'd rip it off, and that would have everything you did. And that was state-of-the-art back then. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you were you were an early adopter of technology. Yeah, so the, yeah, the mortgage company figured out a way to print out every house they had. There was probably four or 500. So I had to take, I separated, started out, separate them all by zip code. Wow. Then I'd put them, you know, AAA map and... No Excel spreadsheet either. You can't just hit the No, no, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, everything was by hand. You had to sort it out. And then the AAA maps would have addresses, like at five mile, it would say 15,500. You know, at Curtis, it would say, you know, 16,700. So you'd have to find the street. You'd look on the index. You have to flip it over. That's back when the maps had all the streets. Wow. You have to find the street, find it there. Okay, then. So it took me... That was my summer job. I was supposed to have it done by the time school got back in, all those. So, but it, it took two weeks just to get enough to sort. And then I would drive to each house. I'd write down anything I saw wrong with it, and if there was any kind of damage or anything, I took a Polaroid. Polaroid. A Polaroid. Yeah, it was, we didn't. There was nothing <laughs> digital. Took a Polaroid. It chink, and I'd staple it onto the card. And, and one one card at a time. Now you have uh, what do you what do you have? You have a Samsung Galaxy. Yeah, five five. So you are an early adopter. So you you've come you've seen it all. Well, I was and looking up comps on my phone this afternoon. I bet or, you like yeah. this a lot better, don't you? Yeah, a little different. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, back even when I started appraising, I mean that was the first thing when I started appraising in 1993. They were still typing up reports on typewriters. They hadn't come up with software yet. Man. And back in that day, you didn't work for yourself. You worked for a, a fee split company. It was a main company, got the orders and everything, and we'd get it, and we would have to, we'd bring everything in, and they'd put it together. You'd have to, I had, had an account at Livonia Mall, and every day it was a photo, like a photo map kind of place. There was a lot of them back then. It was oh, in the they mall. loved you. Oh, yeah, I had an account. Every day, yeah. I would drop, I'd stop in, I'd drop off the film that I'd taken that day. Pick up the previous days. Pick up the previous day's prints, and we got, you always got double copies and then negatives, and then you, most of them wanted two copies. So, it was the same thing. You would... No photocopy machine back then, you had to make it twice, right? Or was well, yeah, it was, it, yeah, you could, by the time we got started, there was a rough printout. So you would print it out, and the, it'd come up with a picture page, but you'd glue stick the pictures on <laughs> the maps. You would go to your copy machine. You took no, so they like like a, a stack of forms, and you pull the form off and then glued stuff onto it. Kind yeah, of like yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. It, the form was there. Yeah, you have a little box, you know, three by five box for your picture, and you just like I said, glue stick it. That used to be a business. People used to make business forms to sell to businesses. Yeah. So it's kind of like one of Yeah, that's things. what it is. Yeah. The same with the mapping programs. You'd take your AAA map, you'd put it on the copy machine, copy the map, and we had those, you know, you would buy arrow subject. It would be like an arrow, oh, like a one-way wow. sign, you know, okay. arrow. Comp one, comp two, comp three. You'd have to, you'd find out, okay, this is where it was. When you were driving around, back then, the same thing. 
Now, now it's an app. I think is like oh, Stitch yeah, or Stitch or something, something like. I got that. it on my phone. I you 16, know sixteen thousand different arrows you could use. Yeah, but on. I mean, we started out. You know, before I'd go out, and we didn't have the computer to look up comps. I had books. I still got the books in my basement. Wow! You got a, a new book every month for sales. You get January, February, then March. Well, then January, February. The March book came out. It had January, February, March in it. So you could get rid of those two books. Then the next, so I would look at a house, and then I would pick up my books, and you'd have to page through to find the comps you wanted. You'd have to write down the address. You'd have to drive to that address, take a picture, because there's no pictures on MLS. There's nothing. It's in the book, but it's just, you know, little squares about... Three by three for each comp. There was like six comps on a page, and you just page after page. Okay, this one looks good. Write down the address. Then you'd look at your AAA map. I'd blow it up for the area I was in. You'd have to find it. Then when you drove by and took the picture, you'd mark it on the map where it was, so you knew where to put that arrow. Yeah. <laughs> when you got back to the got back to the. Uh, or you gonna make another trip out? Like, oh, exactly. Crap. Yeah. There's no yeah. pulling it off MLS or pulling it off of Google. No Google Maps. No, there was nothing. There was there was no. There was no at that time. This there back was in still the day, you had to work for an appraisal. Yeah, those are back in the day when we had five and a half. Inch, that's probably before your time too. Five and a half inch floppies. I uh, know. I remember that Commodore sixty four. Yep, yeah, that kind of deal. Yeah. But we finally got in. And I remember. Oh my god, when we first got digital software for photos, I paid seven hundred and fifty dollars for a box camera. Wow. You look. It held forty eight pictures, but there was no display screen. You just looked through it like a regular camera. You saw the thing. Hit the button. It would go click, and that's it. You wouldn't see it. There was no display, no anything. Hope you get it right. Yeah, you hope you get it right in that. And like then, a real old picture. Yep. Just digital. Yeah, and then then you had to buy the uh, the printer to print the picture pages up. So I had to have two different printers. It was I remember it was a uh, HP sixteen hundred, and that's how much it cost was sixteen hundred bucks. Holy Toledo! Because you had it didn't come coming stock. It didn't work for photos yet. You had to buy extra memory, and back then memory was expensive. Same with the the first computer I bought. I bought it, and I immediately had to buy another hard drive because the hard drive wasn't big enough to hold the software for the program. They even, <laughs> they even and, sell hard Yeah, drive. and in that software, still, you what still... What was the first commute, computer you bought? What was it? Oh, it was uh, Compaq, okay. I think. I mean, way back. It was back in DOS. All our programs were DOS. Yeah. You'd look at the... It would bring up... C control prompt for all the millennials listening. Like, what the hell are they talking about? <laughs> well, it would... Our software, it would bring up, the whole screen would be, okay, fill out the address, then the city. You'd hit the enter button. It would just, you would type in the data, and you would, every field, and you'd have to go, you couldn't jump around. It was just one right after another, and if you had to go back, you just got to go back through them all and change it. But that was like seventh heaven because it actually printed it up. We didn't have to type it anymore. But you still had it printed up, like I said, the picture pages and stuff. Now, the picture pages, we had to take into a different printer and different software that actually would put a digital photo in instead of gluing it. But I was paying... A lot of the guys didn't want to do it. I'm going, you know, yeah, because it's like two grand. But I was probably paying 
two three hundred dollars a month in development and printing, and yeah. then you had to you had to save your negatives because oh, we lost the copy of the appraisal. We need another copy. Well, you charge for that, right? That's yeah. Extra. Well, back in the day, yeah, yeah. But now you just have to email for free. Yeah, bastards. No, you, it, it was <laughs> totally different back then. You got there was no electronic delivery. I stopped in every week at my client's place of business. I would just walk in with two copies of the appraisal, drop it off. And most days I'd walk out with a couple orders. That's just the way it was. Mm. Okay, you know, if, okay, I'm going to be in Farmington Hills today. So, okay, I'm going to be over by North Territorial where there, you know, one company was. And you'd go over there and, you know, drop it off and pick up anything or whatever. And just, that everything was faxed back then. Well, that was hey, that was that was, uh, that was new too. Edge. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, like, I get annoyed when somebody wants to fax me something. So, was the pace of business just slower back then, or did you have to hustle? Uh, no, it was. It's you couldn't hustle. I mean, there was no, no way. Yeah. I mean, you had to. We never knew what we were even going to see. I mean, now I can, you know, okay, I'm going out to your house. Like, okay, I know it's what it is. You know, bungalow, whatever. We didn't know. We'd have to go to the house. Actually, you'd have to go to City Hall because nothing was on computer. To get the legal, Sidwell, all that, it just didn't exist. Start flipping through files. Yeah, you'd go, yep, they'd open file cabinets. They'd give you the file. You'd copy, all hand copy it all down, get the sketch, all that, then go to the house, do your thing, then sit out in, the, in a parking lot somewhere, McDonald's, get in your comps, drive all the comps. And then, you know, yeah, it took much longer to do. And we did a lot. There's no way I could keep up. But back then, you know, FHAs were guaranteed to be 250 You know, that was... Big money. Twenty, Yeah, 20 years ago. They haven't gone up much. Everybody no. keeps telling me, you know, the, the cost. Matter of fact, now there's a lot of companies only pay two and a quarter for appraisal. So actually... That was you inflation. Know. I remember a candy bar used to cost twenty five cents. That's how fucking old we are. Well, yeah, you're like it was a nickel. What no, it was a di- dime. <laughs> <laughs> you remember dime for the payphone? <sighs> Always a quarter. Always a quarter with me. Now that's what payphone. You can if you can find a payphone. Yeah, I don't even think you can find one most places. Maybe in a bar somewhere, or maybe in the airport. But this would be a good old school podcast. Some cool shit we'll be talking about here. So. Dave Desk has been doing this for 22 years. He's got a wife, a couple kids. He's flipped a bunch of houses, too. Really, yep. really old school guy. One rental that burned down. We'll get to hear that story. Yeah, that's a fun one. <laughs> so let's go back to the beginning, to, to day, well, at least not day zero, day 365. Where, where were you born at? Oh, I was born in Highland Park, Detroit Osteopathic Hospital. Wow, that was back in the day. Oh yeah, nineteen. All right. You lived. You guys. Yeah. You and your family lived in Detroit for a long time. Actually, my well, my dad was a Detroit police officer, so he did that for a few years, and he moved out to uh, the suburbs in Taylor, Redford, and then my I grew up in Livonia. That's where he finally settled down. Thirteen years in Livonia, went to Bentley. So, and I lived in Livonia for a while. My office, my old office was in Livonia. A couple of them were. Mm. I have a tendency to keep 
the buildings keep getting torn down. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think time just passes, right? That's true, too. Yeah. <laughs> so time just passes. So, so here you are. Mm. How, how did you get your start in real estate? Sounds like it's family-oriented. But... Yeah, well, I started with the first, the rental was the first thing. It was a friend of mine back in, I was probably 79, 80. I was still young. I mean, it was his deal. But, you know, it kind of sort of apprenticing, came in, learned how to work on houses, stuff like that. Yeah, you were the free laborer. Pretty much, yeah. My boy's going to learn a lesson, too. Well, he's a good friend of mine, and he, yeah. he paid me for a lot of the stuff we did, you know, but a lot of it was good free education. But he had that house. It was in over at Southfield and Plymouth area. But it was just a little three-bedroom on a slab. What'd you do? You usually did a bunch of the work for it? Or? Yeah, we, you know, helped... Yeah. Helped him uh, get it ready and everything, and then actually he he didn't want to be known, so I collected the rent a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not the landlord. I'm just the. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He didn't want to be the. Yeah, I'm like oh no, I'm just a helper. I've I've done that. I've done both. I've I've played both sides. Yep, and I ended up and I did a lot of things. He you know sent me over there if you know toilet got clogged or something like that. I could go over there or whatever, and he paid me. But you know, I, we kind of learned together. It was like he was like my best friend at the time, so it was. Mm. You know, just something that came along. Just a little way to make some money. Yep, and then that worked for about a year, and then all of a sudden, the rent stopped coming in. Mm. And it's like, okay, well, what? Ha you know, she was always on time. Everything was just always there. So, and he just called me up one day, say, hey, we're going over to the house. You want to come over? Yeah, I'll, I'll come with you. I can get over there. Everything from the front looked great. <laughs> Walking the house, it was empty, and she had a kitchen fire. Oh. So the whole back of the house kitchen area it was just all gone. It was opened up, you know, just, it was just a mess. And that was just, and that was kind of put a little bit of a bitter, bitter taste in our mouths. Yeah, so, I bet it did a little bit. Yeah, and he lost a little bit of money and everything. And it just, and, you know, he tried it one other one and he just had problems with tenants I mean, we went through the same thing. It kind of, you know, okay, we'll try it one more time. You know, build it up, get her, get it up. Um, but he just, it just seemed like that. You know, this tenant was great. She was great. I mean, the six or nine months he was, she was in there, never late. Just, you know, one of those tenants you just love to have until until they burn the house down. So. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's not part so good. So after that, well, so one more time, tried it. Another rent. And that was probably about it. I ended up uh, going off my dad. That was, if anybody knows the 80s, that was when the rates went up to yeah. crazy. My dad ended up, he was in the mortgage business, and he was working with Pulte. He ended up getting transferred to Denver. So he moved to Denver, and I stayed here. I didn't really want to go, and I ended up driving a truck, doing a bunch of other things for a few years. And then he moved back, and then it was time for me to... You know, rates came down, and uh, life got back to normal. And that was probably, when did we move into that house? 89, 88, 89. I decided, okay, it's time to buy a house. And that's the first. We, I found an agent who was a friend of mine, and uh, we ended up, you know, looking for houses and looking for houses, and I had no money. <laughs> Young kid, <laughs> didn't have a dime. No I was money. looking, you know. Were you married yet? Were you married yet? No, this is before I got married. So this is before you married. Okay. Yeah, so this is single. Yeah, me and my buddy were gonna. 
I had my friend that I went to college with. He was my college roommate and everything. He was going to move in with me, so we're going to buy a house. And I was hoping to find a fixer-upper. Yeah. And, you know, that's what I was doing. We couldn't find anything. So you're going to put some sweat. You're young. You're not married. You're going to put some sweat equity in the house yep. when you move later. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then that's my dad came up with this brilliant idea. You know, he says, let's try to find, you know, something... You know, he wanted something really trashed and everything. And he had an agent and he'd worked with, and he told her about him being a VA, you know, being able to do a VA loan because that was kind of it. We're going to kind of put it maybe in his name. And then, you know, I'd fix it up and, you know, then refinance it and sell it back to me or whatever. But we ended up finding this house. It was a. Have you ever seen the movie The War of the Roses? Oh yeah, that's what the house looked. I mean, we had there was grenadine on the ceilings. They had just gone through and just trashed the house. Well, the guy was a VA, and all of a sudden, being a trashed house, it wasn't worth what he bought it for, and it was underwater. Oh, so he couldn't sell it. He screwed. Yeah, he was screwed until my father came along. He's motivated too. Yes, he's looking. Well, for yeah, a way he's got out. a divorce. He's yeah. getting a divorce. They got to sell the house. Got to get a way out. Nasty ex-wife coming. Yeah, house you're in over your head on and the whole nine yards. And yeah, comes and Dave and Dad. Yeah, so my dad said, "Well, okay, I'll assume the mortgage. You know, and give us five grand." And I'll assume the mortgage. <laughs> Pay me, and I'll take over your payments. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. Okay. So How much did he pay you? It was five grand or something. Oh, and that, that that's went real th- money back. That's real yeah, money. It was yeah, and my dad. Well, I mean, it was, that covered all his closing costs. You know, it was just like anything else. It was a sale. I had to pay the commission on the to the realtor. You know everything else, but that Wait, five. So you didn't have to bring any money to the table. No, I mean I. That's so like a zero down. Yeah, I think my dad ended up walking away with like five hundred bucks. So every, I mean, everything got taken care of. Five hundred bucks in his pocket. Wow. So five hundred bucks ahead. Well, with a trashed house. Well, yeah, it was. You know, it was and trash. a monthly mortgage payment. Exactly, right? and my dad said. I'm not going to make any money on you. You just make the mortgage payment. So that's what I did. And we, it was trashed. I lived in the living room for two months. That's where my bed was. We had a TV, everything. I just gutted the two bedrooms, had to, you know, clean it. It was just me. Yeah. You know, and I just, you know, redid it, repainted it, moved into the bedrooms. Then my buddy moved in once we had that done. We redid the living rooms. And it was, I mean, it was trash. And we had paneling on the walls. We'd rip it down. It was glued on. So we brought, you know, those are plaster walls. So we had, a, you know, all that repair. It's just me. Yeah. So I'm just tooling around. And then we did the whole, fix that all up. And then we did the upstairs. Um, I mean, totally gutted it. You know, a typical bungalow, Redford bungalow. It was all just horrible. So I put a cathedral th- ceiling in it, cut it. Cut the peaks out where I could, reinforced it. Uh, you know, all brand new drywall, built-in cupboards, the whole nine yards. You know, this on the in two ends. months. No, this is after we ah, the two okay. after we were living in the first floor. That took me a. I was still doing construction and landscaping in that, so you get laid off for three months. So I had three months to do nothing but work on that upstairs. So we did all that. And in the meantime, I got married, 
And uh, once we got the upstairs finished, my buddy still, he was in business with his father, and he was making negative money. So <laughs> well, He had to go. Yeah, well, he no, he, he we didn't kick him out. We left him upstairs because Stephen still, after I got married, we didn't have any money. <laughs> so he was still paying rent, and we moved him upstairs. Then we had my first, you know, my son, and yeah. then it was time. But we had that house... Do you remember the numbers on that house? Like, yeah, um, we bought it in '89. It was fifty-eight thousand. Was the, the the assumption money was what it was assumed at, or what what we paid for it? Okay, and they brought five so, grand. To yeah, it was. Yeah, it was kind of. Wow. That's like bringing twenty grand to the table now. Yeah, it was kind of. I'm not quite sure how it worked with the sale price and everything. It was. You know, because they could lower the sale price too, but they couldn't because it was the mortgage was mm. higher. So they wouldn't let VA would not let you to buy it for less than whatever when you're assuming it or whatever. That wasn't my. Yeah, did you have to qualify to assume the loan, or did you? Just that was my dad. It? it was your dad. You my dad. It. Yeah. So he's bad. He just. Yeah, and he's my dad was well off, so he yeah. he just assumed it. It was fine. Yeah, no he problem. qualified. No no issues. And you just made the payments to your dad. Yep. For. Actually, bought it. I bought it from him for fifty-eight. I think he paid forty-five for it. Yeah, it took me about eighteen months to get because we were trying for like twenty percent or you know whatever. Yeah, yeah, whatever it was. I ended up qualifying for Mishta. Mishta had a, a great program. First-time home buyer, uh, you got a twenty percent credit on your interest. So when I did my income tax, I got a credit on my income tax for 20% of the interest I paid that year. How much money do you think you put in that house fixing it up? Uh, that, I really don't know. I would probably say ten grand. Ten grand, okay. But I think he bought it for 45 And I bought it for 58 from him. That's how I got started on the appraising end. Is my dad was trying to figure out how much it's worth. He, you know, you've been working on it, you've been doing stuff around there. How much you think it was worth? I said fifty-five to sixty, and it came in at fifty-eight. Pretty close. Yeah, that's what he said. He says you want to try doing this full time like you did back before, mm. and then that's actually what got me going because I just he said how'd you figure that out? Well, you 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 taught me when we was doing it back then. You know, find comps, find sales, blah blah blah. My, every time I get out, they pull me right back in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's about get it. In there. And he, and I ended up buying it from him in ninety for fifty eight. Now you know it's gift to equity and all that kind of did because I did all the work I mean he didn't do anything I mean it didn't cost him a penny either though but because like I said he assumed it and everything and when we bought it that you know Headley was already in effect so we I had to pay the transfer tax and all that so I had to pay his money plus my money but he counted it all as a you know it was like a gift to equity because we had you know over time and all the I mean it was like a brand new house when we were done with it but I bought it you know for 58 and we sold it six years later for 85 how long how many years did you rehab it about 18 months uh, yeah so okay a year and a half into it yeah so. and then we lived there for 
know, get six married. Years. Still got the friend living upstairs. Yeah, we when we got my second daughter, that's when I started working and appraising. Oh, apprenticing was. I had three jobs. I didn't get paid for half the stuff I did. Learning to really, up, yeah, you just go out with people. Just learn. Yeah, you got training. Learn. Yep. Okay. I mean, back in the day, so that's like a hustle. That's like a real appraisal hustle back then. Oh yeah, you had to just you know burn the. I had two jobs during the day I worked at, and then at night I would. Matter of fact, I set up my computer upstairs, and my wife would watch TV, and I'd sit there. And one of my deals was that was still back in the day. You had to type everything in. So I would work for other appraisers that were appraisers. That's because you had to get your hours, in, and I would do all the inputting, data, basically data entry. And you learn and stuff like that. That's how you got to get your hours. You got 2,000 hours. So they made you do 2,000 hours, basically like free work for other... Yep, basically, yep. Yeah. And it's still that way. Matter of fact, it's harder now than it was back then because FHA doesn't allow you to do it. A lot of the AMCs, they don't want to see anybody's name on it. You're doing the work, you do it. So I don't know how they're going to replenish the stock of appraisers because it's almost... My children don't want to do it. It's Does anybody? Yeah. I mean, there are, but you gotta you gotta have an in, and you gotta be willing to almost work for nothing. Now, I mean, back in the day, I trained the right way, but we got into the boom, late nineties and the up to about you know, the Bush era. Yeah, yeah. You know, every he wanted everybody to be a, a house for every American, yep. every American homeowner. I remember That's that. That's about it. So they were just, Clinton too. Clinton was yeah, pushing real hard. They all pushed through it, yeah. and it, which is fine. But they would, you know, you can't sell a four hundred thousand dollar house to somebody working at McDonald's. No, no. And they yeah. were doing that. We saw the writing on the wall. It was just they, they went too far. They just, you know, they figured people wouldn't want to lose their houses. Uh, but well, then, they didn't want to lose their house. Well, you don't have any money. Guess what happens? You you're going to lose job. it. You're going to lose your house. And yeah. they were doing, I mean, we were doing 125 loans all day long. And that's, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, and those those were the first to go. You know, it's always going to go up. Yeah, I remember that. You know, because everything was, the values were going up and everything. But, uh, but yeah, back in the, that's, you know, how it was back then. So it's like some Creating Wealth with Real Estate. I don't know if anybody's ever read that, but Creating Wealth with Real Estate by Robert Allen. Um, it's actually one of the few things he's written that's any good, but that was one of the things I read. That's why I always ask about that story. I was like, oh, you could just assume a loan. And you actually did it another, well, your father did, but then you did it another time, didn't you? Because after you did this house, you, your first house, like you were in that for six years. You, yep, you know, then, we, then, yeah. <laughs> then we ended up with... But you sold it. Did you make money? When you sold it? Oh yeah, because we bought it for well, we, my dad bought it for forty five. I bought it from him for fifty eight, but that was my equity because it was a gift equity because I did it and that got us qualified. Whatever, whatever. I don't can't remember what Mishta was five percent or ten percent back then. Um, whatever that qualified for. So how and much then, did you sell your house for? Eighty four. Eighty four. Yeah, it's pretty good in six years. Yep. Yep. And while well, we owned two houses at once and did the same thing, we bought the biggest piece of junk in Canada. <laughs> oh my God. You like rehabbing, Dave? What can I say? Yeah, I mean, it was still 1976. It was a quad level. It still had the orange countertops, oh. it had wallpaper, the silver 
aluminum whatever wallpaper. When when was wallpaper ever a good idea? I'm curious. I, Have you ever just said, geez, I want to put wallpaper up? I never put wallpaper up in any of the houses I've ever had. No, but I have, there, there must have been some period of time in which everybody lost their mind. And they put wallpaper on That everything. was a 70s thing. Yeah, 70s into the 80s. It it's kind of Then, then it went from wallpaper to paneling. Oh. And then, yeah, my my. This paneling's uh, easier to take off as long as they don't glue that shit on. Well, as long as there's drywall behind it. Yeah. My parents' house in no Farmington Hills. No, paneling went right up on the studs. That was the. <laughs> my God. <laughs> we live with some idiots sometimes, don't we? Well, I run across that. That's why uh, you know. That's just people. Primates. Yeah. You don't. They don't understand. It's the same with you know why. <laughs> That's why, you know... You, why would I need drywall over these stuff? No, you put the paneling they, up. It's a lot they cheaper. at least put up some insulation? Like, ah. Well, on the outside walls, it was drywall yeah. because it, that was code. But on the inside walls, no, it was just paneling. Mm-hmm. So when you tear it down, nothing there. You have to they put up paneling. They save themselves five bucks is what they yeah, did. That's, but everybody, you know, that's the way it was in the late 70s, early 80s. How long would it take you to rehab the Canton house with the orange countertops? And uh, we bought it. In August, it was never really completed <laughs> until we moved out. But we we didn't move in for six months. There was no way. No way. I mean, just when we bought it, it was a, a widowed guy for two years. So it hadn't been cleaned or anything. He bought, he moved in with his soon-to-be new wife. They had a dog. It was just the stupidest thing. But the and she had a dog. Well, the dogs didn't get along, so the house is vacant and the dogs living in the house. This is not good. No, I mean we're walking through. Oh, the house is the dog's friendly. Oh, that's fine. We're walking through. Oh, nice dog, nice dog. He just takes a crap right there in the middle of the living room, you know, floor, and it's like, and it's not the only pile. And it's like you only want not the only pile. Well, they wow. stop by maybe two times a day, maybe oh. to let him out. So the dog just went inside. And like I said, it that was... That had to be just horrendous. Oh. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Yeah. And it was hot, and it was... they. The only thing they had done was they updated the kitchen. So it had 19... Well, I was going to say 1990s kitchen, but that was 19... That was <laughs> it was 90. Yeah, it was 1990s. They did a nice job on the kitchen. So we came in and just... Gutted it, and it took and the hardest How part. How many dumpster? I mean, if you, you had to tear everything off, you have a dog pissing and crap. Well, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Well, yeah, and it had uh, an in-ground pole, so we had to fill that in too. Yeah. So, but we did all that, and that was back in the day where you know, and you could do it yourself still. And we did. You know, can't can't do that today, but you know, just grab the shovel, and start throwing dirt in it. Yeah, or? whatever. Yeah, got a skid steer. And got some guy with fill dirt. And that's what I, I used to operate a skid steer. So uh, we had 102 yards of fill. Holy cow. It was an in-ground, but it was a whole backyard. Yeah, that's huge. And, you know, I had to fill that in. But, yeah, we filled it in in the fall, like Thanksgiving weekend. You know, we got the permits, whatever, and just did it. Um, let it settle all winter. And then came in and put, you know, a couple or ten yards of Nice topsoil on it and reseed. No, we went and oh, you got we side. drove to Huron. We went and got it ourselves. 
<laughs> couple trucks. That's back when I drove a pickup. You know, a couple trailers, a couple trucks, fill it up. How many years were you working before you actually became a full-time professional appraiser? Like, it seems like you had a lot of... Yeah, as so far as, well, that was 93. I basically graduated in high school in 79. So 79. How many years did you have to, because you had to do 2,000 hours. You had to apprentice. You kind of wandered for a little while. Yeah, I started, uh, got my my starter license in 93. I finally got my full license in 95 okay. at the end. So it was like the beginning and the end kind of deal. So it was almost three years. And 88 is when you bought the first house, yep. right? Okay. So probably about... Oh, so there's there were several years before you were really into the thick of it. How long? But by, by the time you got your license, how long before your business really took off? Uh, well, I got my license and I apprenticed for the two years. Got my license in '95. I started DM valuation in '97. So it took me two years of fee split and stuff like that. But that was just as much the nature of the the business. I mean, it's totally. I mean, you start back in '77. Yeah. To today, night and day. Yeah, there's night and day. It's night and day since the Great Recession started. Yeah, I mean it's a totally different business than it was in 2007. A lot of different regulations for those listening and those watching. Um, uh, America's a little different, especially if you're from Europe or or Asia, or whatever. Uh, it, it's going to seem very strange to you because in comparison, we're we're very unregulated, but that means that there there could be lots of wild value fluctuations and and things like that. So as we're gonna we're gonna walk through the whole thing, but that that's what we're talking about right here. How, how values keep changing, appraisals, all that. So you you're your second house. You bought this one. Was this a VA loan too? Did nope. This is this is my dad was out of it by then. Matter of fact, he passed away. A, Right after we bought the house, right, so. so you did this one all by yourself. Yeah, this now, yep, this is it's yep. time for me you to assume, take off. You assumed the loan on this one too, right? <laughs> no, I didn't. This one we just uh, got some creative financing. With, oh, okay. Uh, How'd you do the financing? Well, it was like I said, that was in the '90s, and they pretty much as long as you put down eighty percent or put down twenty percent, they, they would care. loan. They didn't care, so. We, um, I took out an equity loan on the other house. Use that for the twenty percent. Put use that the twenty percent down because we weren't going to sell it. We we're going to be in it for another. Yeah, because like I said, we did pretty like fifty eight to. Yeah, you need a place to live too. You gotta yeah, there's no way all the dog shit dead off. Oh, and it just work. And How it's did pretty, you talk your wife into that? How like I, I don't even know if I could do that. I you know she it would became that was just the way it was. She was oh. just as into it as I was. It became a family business. We yeah. did a flip that that was everybody on everybody board. Everybody get in here. Yep. I mean Roll I had that carpet. <laughs> I was when we did our flip house. I was writing checks to my both my children and my wife. You know everybody got you know was all hands on board. That's cool. That's cool you do it like that. So, but you know, my wife. Well, that was the last house per my wife, as yes. far as the ones we were going to live in. Yeah. So, but we bought that in. That was ninety. Ninety seven. We we lived there six years too. So it would have been. Ninety six. We bought it. We moved in right after Christmas, so the beginning of 97, first of the year. We 
spent Christmas in the old house and then after Christmas moved everything in. But we're, you know, everything we did, we won 50. We sold it six years later for two and a quarter. Yeah, I was going to say, because I know now you have a very nice house. And, yeah, uh, at that point, and yeah. in the meantime, when we sold it off, the my dad talked me into a 15-year mortgage. Good job, Dad. On the first house. So six years in, we paid a lot down. Oh, heck yeah. Had it. And then the second house, same deal. You know, we paid a lot down, and we didn't take, when we Sold the house. I refinanced it again. We took a 30-year out when we got it first because I couldn't afford two house payments. But when we sold the Redford house, as soon as we got that money, I refinanced into a 15-year loan. And then, like I said, six years in, we paid a lot of that off. So that good. So you, boy, but you really rolled that equity from that first house. That sweat equity you rolled from that first house. Both houses, yeah. Rolled it into the second house, and then from the second house with your family, rolled it into your very, very nice house right now. Yep. And we bought the the house we've got now. That was pretty much, and that was a relocation. The guy uh, was from Pakistan, and he actually hadn't even lived in. They he was spending more time in Pakistan than here. So they really only lived in the house about a year and a half, and they probably actually were physically there less than six months. Wow. But they put all the drapes out, and they painted everything and did all that. So it was, we So they were that. motivated, too. Yes. Yeah. You know, we, know, we paid market value for that in 2003. And then that's when we paid high. <laughs> the very top. Uh, yep. Yeah. But... Like I said, we rolled, and we've been in there 12 years. Yeah. Because we moved. That was another story. We moved during the blackout. The blackout. The blackout. How do you move during the blackout? Uh, weren't, weren't there were just, uh, everybody went crazy on the streets? They did. Death yeah. Well, we we had, we literally only moved a mile away. That makes it a little easier. Yes. Matter of fact, my children were at the same elementary school. They switched schools, and they had more friends in the new neighborhood than they did in the old neighborhood. So, so it worked out. It was my, We had one traffic light to go through, and we had a moving company for all the big stuff because I've, I'm done moving big stuff, but that's another story. They didn't show up. They were supposed to come on Saturday. No power, no nobody came in. They came on Monday, brought an extra guy, broke a bunch of stuff because they were double booked and trying to play catch up, and it, that turned into a nightmare. Oh. But we moved during the... Yeah, I mean, we had my truck, a trailer, you know. What year was that? Was that it's 2003. 2003. Matter of fact, yeah. I just, 12 years ago, it's only been a couple of weeks, it popped up. How many days was that down? Eight, uh, nine? Canton was down, we were the first ones to come back up. We were, we were back up Sunday afternoon. Okay. And every gas station in Canton was... I just loaded. It. Everybody was getting... They were lined up coming off the freeway, coming yeah. down Ford Road and Michigan Avenue. I remember the police were all out directing traffic because there's a sub substation like a mile from our house and the, the main power lines. We have an easement right behind, actually, the two subs that both lived in behind us. That's like a football field wide with three rows of the high-tension... Wires coming up from Monroe and stuff like that, and there's a big substation in Canton because that's the end of civilization. Yeah, Wayne County, whatever. Yep, and that's where it was, and so we were the first ones to come back up. But we moved during that. That was fun. Well, fast forward, so we go all the way back to 
what were they, three by five cards for yep. appraisals? Yep. To printing and DOS and all yep. that to. Today. Here we are. <laughs> 2015, you got apps, the MLS, the internet. A lot has changed. Um, a lot has changed since 2007. Actually, a lot has changed since 2000. Yeah, for Frank Dodd and HVCC changed the whole makeup of lending, which needed to be done anyway, because a lot of appraisers just weren't. Well, let's dive into that because this is uh, a lot of people will say well, this is some of the boring stuff. But hey, if you're going to be a real estate investor or an appraiser or a real estate yep. agent, if you're going to be involved in real estate, you have to have some idea uh, how this works. So, what changed in the appraisal industry with Frank Dot? Well, before the loan officers would uh, order everything and they expected you to hit value and this and that, and a lot of times you didn't. Now, the underwriters. Um, order them, and they expect more of a true value, if not more on the conservative side, depending on their specific guidelines. But everybody's got, in today's world, you've got FHA and uh, MISHTA and um, you know rural financing, rural housing is one, and then conventional is another, and then possibly equity, which is they're kind of on their own guidelines. But everything is regulated. It's all step-by-step. There's an appeal process for homeowners uh, or loan officers or banks or in, you know, gen, gen public. Yeah. Um, but it, the lenders now are totally responsible for their own paper. So even if you're sending something to FHA, the bank is responsible. Yeah, so here, let me, for, for those who don't know how the mortgage industry in America, probably the world, but certainly in America works, is most of the institutions that are writing paper, Bank of America, Chase, whoever, they're taking that paper after they write it and they're selling it, most likely to Fannie and Freddie, yep. correct? Like almost all of it. Yep. Maybe some insurance companies are still keeping some paper, or there might be some um, some local small credit unions or whatever. Yep. The credit doing unions conventional and stuff. Yep. twenty thirty percent down. They might keep some of that paper, but the vast majority of all the mortgages, thirty year mortgages being written, are then immediately passed through and sold. So what Dave's talking about is now. Fannie and Freddie are making whoever's writing the paper responsible for basically default to some extent, right? Yep. There's, they have a very strict set of rules you have to follow. Yep. And if you don't follow them, they're going to come back and penalize you. And basically, we're not going to eat the losses. You will. Yep. They have to buy the loan back. So. And that was in response to 2007, 2008, when they were buying all these mortgages. And it turned out that, oh, yeah, by the way. Yeah, they were selling them. They were just pass-throughs. They didn't care what did they yeah. look like. You know, it's going. We don't on. know what the house is worth. We don't know if the borrower could afford to pay. We don't even not entirely sure who the borrower is. Good luck. Yep. Yeah, make your money on that. So, so now it's completely different. Yep. So now they're making, so probably more FHA than anything else, right? Or what? What are you seeing in the business, right? FHA new handbook comes out September fifteenth. Everything's changed. It's a new handbook. They're going back more towards the VC sheet. You're going to need, like you guys, investors, 
they're really getting locking down on water flow around houses. They want positive water flow away from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been getting too many houses back with water in the basements because of bad drainage. Yeah. Um, so that's a biggie now. Um, lead-based paint, they've always had that, but now they want it done. In Wayne County, you're supposed to be licensed to abate lead-based paint. Yeah, I wonder how often that actually happens. Well, they're, they <laughs> want they want qualifications. They want it done the right way. So right now, I, a lot of the – and the banks know it. You're selling a house. No, The seller doesn't want to paint his house. No. He's going to do as cheap as possible. He's not going to do it right or whatever. They don't want that. They want it done right. Matter of fact, the, and it's always been this way, but the way you guys should think about it or anybody else, they want the homeowner to only have to worry about the house payment for two years. So they want to make sure that roof is good for two years. They want to make sure that they're not going to have a basement leak in two years. Furnace isn't going to break in two years. They want everything to your life at least. So... You know, that's how you guys have to look at it. Everything's got to be done. There can't be any drainage issues. There can't be any, you know, plumbing issues, anything. It's got to be good and no pain issues. Oh, my God. You know. Let's take, let's take a hypothetical house. I'm just going to make up a house right okay. now to explain it different. Let's say it's a $150,000 Redford house. Right? Okay. Three bedroom, one bath, one and a half bath, basement. All that. What would be? What would you do differently for a conventional appraisal than you would do for an FHA appraisal, and vice versa? Um, right now, the FHA, like I said, we're going to talk about the new guidelines starting September fifteenth yeah. because obviously the old guidelines are out the door. We have to check everything. The dishwasher's got to work. If it's got a personal property stove, it needs to work. Do you actually have to go in and turn this yes. shit on? Oh, my God. We okay. have to. That's part of the new deal. Um, we have to inspect the attic, make sure there's nothing up there. New requirements. We need photos of that now. You're an appraiser, though, not a home inspector. But well, I they want... Kinda... You don't know how many times I've stuck my head up there, and um, there's a lot, of, a lot of people vent... The exhaust fan for the right, yeah, right, right into the into attic, the attic. Yeah, and that's like mold heaven, yeah. kind of deal. And that's that's the kind of thing they're looking for. Anything that really stands out. But no, we're supposed to inspect for stuff like that, mold or mildew. You know, water damage coming through the roof. Jeez, what if there's a crawl space? I know in our example there's a basement, but do they make you like poke your head in the crawl yeah. space? Oh my god! Matter of fact, I don't know if I'm. I did that. You did that today? Yeah, so I don't know if I'm, I've got anything. <laughs> I had my head in an attic this morning and my head, yeah, matter of fact, and now they want 18-inch crawl space. They're back to having 18-inch crawl spaces. So if you don't have a house with an 18-inch crawl space. Too bad, so sad. For FHA, yep. Crimea so, River. Yep, and, wow. they're, and they're going back to that and, you know, no debris, junk. You know, they want it pretty well cleared out and looking good so that's the difference there um again they don't want any surprises for the homeowner so they, they got they got you check in the appliances they got you putting your head up in the attic they had water you, pressure i mean i carry a uh, water pressure got to make sure the water's on this sufficient 
Wow. Everything you works. Take a picture of this, too? I, I, yes, I've been. Take a picture of the water, and that shows the utilities are on, because you know how it goes. It can be turned off the next minute or five minutes later or five minutes before. Yeah. yeah, well, it's just proof that it's actually on. Some mm-hmm. lenders, I've had to go back and take a picture of the the furnace flame. Oh, wow. Because how do you... You, you, you do know, it every time now when you're there, right? Well, yeah, pretty much, yeah. This, this morning's inspection is typical. You know, stick my head up in the attic, take pictures, run the water... You know, you got to check. You're supposed to check all. You have to have a sampling. They don't expect everything to work, but, you know, overhead lights, you got to check. You got to check and you know, make sure the plugs, you know, one or two can not work. But, you know, if it's a pattern, then you got to call for something. So you check every outlet now? Uh, the sampling of it, everyone. Sample, okay. So, yeah, nightlight. You know, plug a nightlight in, it works, it doesn't. Or, you know, floor. Like you said in class, a lot of you got a floor lamp. If that's on, TV's on, you know the plug's working. That's true. Okay. You know, some of those things, you know, but if you go into a, a room and there's nothing in there, then you check the light. You know, you turn the light on, that's one. And these are just plug-in. go, no-go kind of things. They don't affect the value. They're just no, this is, no, this is just. Like before we even consider deciding what value your house Yeah, this all, all this stuff becomes subject to. You would have to get all this stuff up and to order before the closing. So it's kind of like the financial institution is kind of making you now like a hybrid, like a basic inspector plus an appraiser. We observe, report. They came up with a lie. Of course, the corporation came up with a lie. So you got to observe, report, what? You look at your <laughs> yeah, you got to cover your you cover your butt. Well, I can't remember. I got it written down, but yeah. you know, I haven't learned it all. I took a. They didn't make you get a tattoo of it. Uh, took an eight-hour class, uh, and they eight were hours. eight hours. Yeah, kind of. So it's actually seven hours. Uh, and I was lucky enough to have one of the FHA people teaching the class that wrote the book. So. That was good, but I learned. But you know, a lot of it hasn't changed. But a lot of it's new. They just want, you know, HUD has taken what they've gotten back, and they're emphasizing on the lead-based paint. They get too many houses back with peeling paint and stuff that should never have been that way. Yeah, water damage. That's going to be a big one, you know, because and and. Lead-based paint's really a problem for the Midwest. We really yep. have a lot of houses with a lot of lead-based paint problems asbestos yep. problems too if we're that's honest, an that's automatic obey, that's an automatic call asbestos siding asbestos siding asbestos lagging, wrapping yeah and all that basement tiles we see it we got to call for an environmental inspection oh my god it's just the way it is now how who are they going to get for that that's outside my scope of work yeah but but we got a call for Well, I'm it. glad they don't have you doing asbestos work on the side for the appraisal now, too. <laughs> well, wait, it's important, Dave, that you spray it down first. Okay. Well, in the guidelines, it says you have to follow HUD and EPA, and it's got the coating, whatever it is, yeah. guidelines. You just you have to. So my recommendation to everybody is, you know, what you do before I get there is between you and, you know, the homeowner. But, I mean, as investors... If you're even going to offer an FHA, you better make sure that all your lead-based paint issues are done before I come out, or I'm going to open a can of worms. Yep. So. It's not your fault. Yep. No, no, it's, they, they want pictures you're like of everything. like a harbinger of doom. Oh, no, it's Dave coming. Yeah, don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't shoot. Because we got to take pictures of everything. We I'm got, friendly. They got, you got to have the downspout on the water tanks again. They want that. So, and yeah, I got to take a picture of it. 
And it's you can buy them at Home Depot for four ninety nine. They screw them by hand. They're yeah, plastic now. They're plastic. But I'm gonna charge. Does it make you mad? It's plastic. Can no, you have a piece of metal there? No, it's no, plastic's plastic. fine. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's easy, cheap. I hate plastic. You know, it, well, ninety nine point five percent of the houses will never use that, and no. and the one time it does, the plastic works. Yeah. So. So why put copper in or whatever? Like I said, a homeowner, you can hand screw it in. You don't even have to. I put in, you know, every one of the houses I had, just hand tighten it. You, they tell you not to even use it. It's got a, you know, a wrench on it to get it off if it sticks. But when you put it in, it's got an O-ring. They tell you just to hand tighten it. Yeah. And, you know, it takes 20 seconds. Now so, that's the, so that's for you realtors out there? Do it. Yeah, I get it. You know, Save your deal, realtors. You want this thing closing too, right? Yeah, you don't want to delay it by a week from, you know. And then, of course, there's my fee to go back out there. You know, and that's, and it's got, and that's, everything's ordered. There's no contact. That's another thing about us. It's one directional. It goes from the homeowner to the lender to me. Are you even allowed to talk to the homeowner? The only time I can talk to the homeowner is, you know, question them about the house, uh, set up appointments. Once I deliver that report, I'm not supposed to talk to them again. And, you know, and that's the problem, you know. That's a crazy thing, too, considering, I mean, who's paying for it? Well, they're... The bank pays for it, but the homeowner is paying on the bank. And that's just it, too. I can only send the appraisal to the lender. The lender, by law, has to send it to the homeowner. But I can't leapfrog and send... CC and put in. No, that's... No, they're not the client. We're doing this, and that's what they've decided. That's the FHA and conventional, everybody. The bank's the client. They're the ultimate person. So they are the only ones we deal with. We can't deal with the homeowners. You know, obviously, we got to call them up, set inspections like that. I, you know, ask them, you know, when did you update this? And don't answer any questions, basically, in the house. Either. No, we, we yeah. can't talk value. Yeah. It can't, you know, you can't really. Hey, Dave, do you think it's going to come in 150? I get that every day. Yeah. Well, first of all, I don't know at that point. No. I mean, I haven't really even selected my comparables at that point. I want to see the house and see what I'm dealing with, then select my comparables. I got a good idea. Because almost all the lenders want original photos, uh, but you know what? Uh, today I was on my phone looking up comps, you know, looking for data because I needed one. I like, don't no, no, this is not what I thought. Or I, this doesn't work out. This is a, you know piece of junk house. <laughs> all right, so a hypothetical Redford house. Okay, three bedroom, one and a half bath, basement. You've looked in the attic. We're good to go. Everything else, everything works. All the outlets work. All that. Uh, now you're, hey, it's time. It's in good shape, too. It's an updated house. Yep. Now you're looking at picking comps. How does FHA have you pick other They comps? have, FHA and conventional have pretty much, uh, FHA still has the net line and gross items. Conventional has gotten they away from that. that. They, they might not know. Um, typically, you can't make more than like a 10% adjustment for, let's say, updating. So you got a $150,000 house. They don't, it's a, it's a guideline. It's not a rule. They would like to see that, you know, 
a sale not have anything over $15,000 because you're kind of considering now you're getting dissimilar. Um, in Redford, it doesn't become a problem. I typically have more than enough sales to, you know, and that's from rural though. Really yeah. Right? Like in, and that's kind so of what he's talking about. This house worth 150, then he can't really use a, another comp. More than 165. Yeah, they want to keep. Yep. Yeah. Well, Even that's with a line adjustments item. because yeah. they say you're too different. 25 percent on the, the grade. So yep, yeah, 150. So another 25 on top of that. But they all have bracketing. You always got to have an inferior sale and a superior sale, and that's the biggest problem I have with realtors. They always send you the better houses. Of course, right. But you have to. Can you blame them? Well, you can't. But <laughs> you know, and it's kind of hard to discuss, and it's. Case by case, house by house, neighborhood by neighborhood, city by city. This is not, we still have appraisers because there's really no, there's science in it, but it's still an art. You have to have a human element deciding what's the most similar sale. Then you make adjustments. You have one a little bit smaller, a little bit bigger. That way you can figure out exactly, you, you know, it's like getting an eye test. Anybody has glasses. Yeah. Okay. How's this look? No, it's blurry. Okay, is this better? That's what I was gonna say. You can do have a machine do a lot of that and just have the human decide. Yep, basically. and that's it's the same thing. It's just like buying glasses. Is this one similar or more similar? You want one at each end and bring it up and down. That way you can figure in the perfect world, all of them would adjust out to the same. But if you have a smaller house and a bigger house, then you can figure out what where the middle is, and that's what your adjustment is. And that's how we figure that out. Now, I can do that. An example is like an in-ground swimming pool. I've got a couple of bases, you know, in a typical, like you were talking, $150,000 house. I've figured out it's about $8,000 using match pairs. Okay, here's the only difference between house A and house B is that in-ground pool is an $8,000 difference. So that's what that becomes. That doesn't work on everything, though, does it? Like, what about AC? Like, one house has AC, one house has No, a lot of times not. I mean, some of those smaller things, no. Um, you got to start extracting out, you know, cost. You know, typically a buyer is not going to pay more for new than or for used than he can get new. Yeah. So if it costs two grand to put in brand new air conditioning, you're not going to see a three grand adjustment. No. Because it's just, you know, you can get it put in for two grand. Why would you? But you know, it costs pay? way more than eight grand to put in a pool. Well, yeah, that's pools are in Michigan, you know, yeah. you know, down south, you guys are probably going, you got to have a pool. My parents had a huge in ground pool, and my dad would run that thing from before Memorial Day, and he'd turn the heater on and yeah, spend. You Typically close it down before the trees lost their leaves because that just makes a mess. But, you know, that's four months max out of a year. It's around here. It's just not. And cost thousands of dollars to put in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can get them. Yeah. Even a a good gunite pool. So, yeah, it's an oxymoron in Michigan. You know, I know down in Florida, you got to have a pool. And a lot of places in California, you got to have a pool. If you don't have one, it's the opposite. It's, you know, it really detracts from it. Well, Here, you never get your value. How out. would you make an adjustment? Because this is one I think is probably more realistic for people who are listening. Like, okay, so you have a 
a dated kitchen, let's say it's 20 years old, perfectly functional. Yep. But it's a 90s kitchen. Yep. It's a late 90s kitchen, right? It's definitely dated. You can look at it. Um, but the subject house, this Redford house on our 50, is now has... Brand new one with granite and everything. Yeah, with some granite, a little bit of oak or something like that, some backsplash, some tile, that kind of thing, you know, where it's obvious they spent probably 10, 15 grand on the kitchen. Is that something where if somebody puts in 10 to 15 grand, that that will be reflected? It's typically cost never equals value. And never equals value. And well, almost never. So be careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not use never. Never say never. But well, I'm talking about be careful. Okay. Think, oh, I'll, I'll just make the kitchen nicer and I'll make the house nicer. Not necessarily. Yeah. Well, you got to look at a. Very rarely do you recoup your labor. You know, so the cost to put that kitchen in, you're not going to recoup. How much is that kitchen worth? I've had. I did a house, a brand new house, and this is a great example, had all hardwood out through it. Somebody bought that house, it was two years old, ripped out all the hardwood and put in all ceramic. Why? $25,000, and he thought he was going to get $25,000 more. Hmm. And it goes for anything. What you have there is worth something. Once you, you know, so if you got a 90s kitchen, that kitchen, is, if it's like you said, it was still functioning. And you got to watch, there's a difference between functional and personal preference. If it's dated is one thing. If it's a, I've seen newer kitchens that just fall apart, cheap cabinets, stuff yeah. like that. You got a quality issue or a personal preference. Oh, you know, I don't like light cabinets. I want dark cabinets. That's not gonna. There's gonna be no value change in that. It's just a personal preference change, just like the ceramic to hardwood. You what if you a, save your receipts and you just put in cherry cabinets? No shits given. No, I mean no. It, it, it all depends on what your other house looks like. Yeah. But you know, you got demolition costs. You got a kitchen that might be worth ten thousand dollars. It costs you five grand to pull that out. And then five grand to put another one in. So there's ten grand. Ten grand. If you put in the exact same kitchen, you just spent ten grand. Yeah, and you're no and further you're, ahead. No, you're no no further ahead. Mm-hmm. So you gotta, you know, labor's pretty much non-existent, and a lot of labor-intensive things. Um, you know, roof. Seventy-five percent of the cost of a roof is rip, ripping it off and. Yeah, it's labor. labor. Yeah, it's all it's labor. Shingles. Yeah, the yeah. shingles you can buy at Home Depot for you know, but you got to get it off and on. A couple dumpsters and some yeah, guys. yep, yeah. and all yeah. that. So that's in the same deal. You know, you go and, and people ask me the same thing. Well, it's got a brand new roof. Well, how old was you know the roof before it? And we're not talking about the subject of the subject. We're talking about the subject to the neighborhood, or you're you know you always want to. You can keep up with the Joneses. You never want to go ahead of the Joneses. Not too far anyway. Yep. And you never want to be the, the house up on the hill. You don't want to be that. You always want to be the house down here. You don't want to be the nicest house yeah. on the block. Because basically. it's you. Yeah. And you don't want to go above. Yeah. It's like, you know, there's some areas in Detroit, you know, you, 
Go in and you put Granite Kitchen in. You're, you're not, you yeah, know. who cares? The Granite Kitchen's worth more than the house. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually done deals. Uh, I, I, there were I, there was a house on Monica that I did. It's like 2009 or something like that, where probably just the granite on the windowsills. Um, and if you took that plus the cherry cabinets in the kitchen, were worth more than the house. Yep. Just I mean, it was it was it was crazy. So I hope you guys are paying it. So be careful when you're putting money into your fix and flips, guys, and make sure that before you start or start getting some numbers, you survey your neighborhood because Mr. Dave is going to be coming here, <laughs> and uh, you know he's got marching orders from the bank and uh-huh. he's got a list of rules he has to follow, at least for FHA. And just because you put twenty grand into your kitchen, if nobody else in the neighborhood has done that. You're, you might not get anything. You might get something, but not. You might get five grand, not twenty grand, and that might be a rude awakening. So make sure you you buy cheap, and and you're careful. So what about with the actual comps? Like when it comes time for comparison, let's say the house does compare favorably to the neighborhood. It's maybe a little nicer than most of the things around, but not by much. What are the restrictions on comps? Is it 90 days, 180 days, uh, major roads, that kind of thing? Just kind of break it down for us. It's, well, Fannie Mae eliminated, they're back to one year. Okay. So I look at everything with one, one year. And this is where, again, you know, the human being and, you know, the experience comes in. You want similar comps. I will take, you know... The first thing is if you got the exact same house, the closest one starts it. You know, I, you know, and I hear from builders, everybody. Well, you can go up to a mile. No, you can't go up to a mile. You can go up to a mile as long as there's nothing else. You can't leapfrog. So, yeah, in other words, similar house, yeah, basically. you can't jump five similar houses to get to. You know, a house at three quarters of a mile away because it's based on price. So the pricing is completely taken. Anybody doing anything with comps, never ever consider the price. Just pretend it doesn't have a sale price. You work on what it is. The most similar house. Okay, this house is exactly like it. Now, if it shows up, you know, with screwy financing, there's always going to be your outliers. You're going to have a few that are really low and a few that are really high. Yeah, like a land contract sale. Yeah, and land, yep, and FHA doesn't allow FHA. Yep, it's yeah. gone. Yeah, yeah. Or you can figure, or if you can, you can use it on conventional if you can figure out what the land contract financing is worth. So if all your land contracts are selling 10% above your standard conventional you sale, you make that adjustment. You take 10% off, yeah. So it, it, you can use it. But that's not, that's one of the factors you look at. And you don't, you know, if you got 20 other ones, why would you use that? Yeah, you wouldn't. So up to a year and up to a mile away, but all that's out the window. Really, it's the first subject property that's. Yeah, the closest, most similar. Yes. And, and then bracket. the same thing. Yeah. And they're out, right? Yeah, you want a little smaller, a little bigger. Yeah, yep. And, you're, and that's and then, the problem. You, you know, you don't know what comes across. There's that. Then. You come back, okay, well, the house next door sold. Okay, that one's not quite as similar, 
But if it's real current, that could be a good comp too. Yeah, if it's six weeks old, it's fresh. Yeah, and it's right next door. Similar. Yeah. Exactly. You know, well, yeah, it's, it's comparable. Yeah. yeah. It's, it would, you would, you know, I'm not going to use a, you know, 2,500 square foot colonial next door to a thousand square foot ranch, but. That was going to be my next question. Like what, let's say the subject property is 1,500 square feet and the one next door is. 1700 square feet how do you make that adjustment well you take everything out of it but the square footage and then you figure out what the difference in sale price is and that becomes your adjustment okay it's all match pairing and they're you know they've got analysis machines on the computers now that you know you can plug in all this data that's where the mc form comes in you know a lot of that is done for you um but most of it still is you know comp a comp b what's the difference you know, you can adjust on the grid or you can adjust all your comps. You put all this data in and look at it here so you can figure out what the square footage adjustment. See, that's another thing. The banks want everything bracketed. A lot of the banks, you've got to have everything they bracketed. They want a low and a high, right? Yep, and everything. You can't have line adjustments all the way across, which, you know, in some areas, you know, I'll agree or disagree with. Um, you know, if, let's say, you know, you got one house with you know, without AC and you put three houses in with all AC. Yeah. That's an across the board adjustment, but it's a minor adjustment. It's something you can figure out. A lot of the banks say, no, you got to have one without with AC or without. Yeah. Yeah. Without AC. But you know, why would I, then, then you got to, that makes sense only if there's something similar. I mean, I'm totally against, again, putting a, again, back to your 1,500 square foot ranch. Why am I going to put a 2,500 square foot colonial in just to bracket this? Yeah, now they want you to find the exception. Just yeah, exactly. Yes. Like, Wait a second. That's, no, you just hit it on a, yeah. Now you have me hunting an exception. And unfortunately, that's the problem too. Since back to our earlier conversation, since the bank is responsible. Almost every bank I work for, you follow FHA guidelines, you follow credit union guidelines, and you follow Fannie Mae guidelines. Then every other lender's got their own list that you file for that specific one. I like I said, the FHA one that I had today, they got so they got two pages of My God. other stuff. They make it, and some of it's limiting. You know, they want two comps within ninety days. Period. Well. You know, the, right now I don't have a problem with that, but try that in April. Yeah, I was gonna say after a long winter. Yeah, and you know, and you end up using garbage. You know, garbage in, garbage out, but it's still a requirement. You can put less weight on it, but it's still in there, and you still have to drag the whole thing down or up bit. or whatever yeah. or, or excuse it. I shouldn't say excuse it. Now you're putting data in that you normally wouldn't use. It might end up. You know, influence you either one way or the other, not necessarily downward, maybe upward too. You know, what would you say would be the major differences right now between like a conventional twenty percent down and FHA? Very well, the new stuff, all the the repair stuff, but almost nothing. The conventional has brought their game all the way up to where FHA almost is. Wow. We don't have we don't have to inspect the the attics and stuff. But not one of the lenders I work for will do the loan until all the utilities are on and working. You know, they got to be 
not necessarily moving ready, but they got to be livable. You're not going to get a conventional on anything that, you know, that you're, you know, we talk about at the Renegades meeting. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to get any financing on that. It's just not going to happen. No. Everything's got to be on. It's got to be moving ready and livable. So, okay. so it's not so much, you know, they've come, there's, and as far as the comp selection, they're pretty much the same. And again, it's more bank to bank. Bank A, it doesn't matter if it's conventional or FHA, those extra guidelines go for all their appraisals, period. I know, I know it's changing a lot too. So let's say we're still in the same subject house, 150 grand for this subject house. Um, you don't actually know what it's going to sell for, but let's say you do all your work and you come back, you go, oh, 100 $52,000. Okay. Right? That's what it's worth. What does... I know a lot of times they'll kick it back or they'll do a review. What, is that, what does that process look like? So you completed it, you submit it to your underlords, the bankers. Yep. We got two, two things. Dodd-Frank has the rebuttal from anybody involved in the loan. So anybody can just be like, what the hell? Yeah. Yeah. The buyer doesn't like... You know, the buyer says, "Oh shit! I thought this was worth two hundred thousand. You know, I don't want it now because I, I thought I was getting a hell of a deal." Or if you come in low, you know, they can send you comps. They can dispute. You know, your you know. I like how they send you comps like you couldn't see them. You know, before like, oh, in case you miss these, here's some comps. Well, yeah, they do. You know, <laughs> occasionally they'll send me something that I haven't seen. Most of the time. And I see it a lot lately is, you know, it's just garbage. I said, I wouldn't even look at these. And, you know, it's just realtors aren't appraisers. No. They, matter of fact, they can't determine a value. They can do a market analysis with no adjustments. So they can pick the comps, and I get that all the time. They send me comps that it's going gonna, it's gonna to lower their value below what I've already got. Don't do that. And that's what they send yeah. you. I mean, and I'll it's, delete that email and pretend I didn't see you know, that. But unfortunately, on the rebuttal forms, and they're pretty much all standard. They, it says that if you know the appraiser decides to use these and the value does go down, the new value sticks. Ooh. And it's right. But typically, I've already got my comps. I'm not going to use theirs anyway. You know, occasionally you'll miss one. There's a coding area or, you you know, they notice this one and it didn't show up on your search criteria. I'll put it in. Or if, you know, they provide, oh, you know, that was everything in that house is new. You know, I only, you know, I go through a vacant house. I don't, you know, I don't. When was this kitchen put in? Yeah, you know, guessing I'm guessing. Yeah. So if they provide me information, I can change it. As a matter of fact, I just did one where the city was off a little bit. On the square footage, and you, you know, the homeowner, you know, swore it was different. You know, pretty much most of the lenders want you to match what the city has, and it's apples to apples. You know, the builders provide you with the largest number they can. Yeah, of course. And you know, the townships are more, you know, realistic, or you know, you use it anyway because if you don't, okay, I'm going to do it this way for this one, but you can't for the the comps, you're skewing it. You know what I'm saying? Because like in Ferndale, everything's the second story is always you know one. It's one and a quarter, 
and they just multiply it by that. So if you measure it, it ends up being one and a half. Well, now you're bigger than all your comps. You got to you know adjust for that. So it's got to be apples to apples. You know, the same way going backwards. Dave with a tape measure, crap! I get stuck in this position. You know, I got a wheel, I got a tape. Yeah. You know, I got. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm probably on my tenth or twelfth tape measure. They last about two years before the ends break or That's something it? breaks. Yep. Yeah. Because you got to measure every single house. You know, even if I get the, you know, the city plan, I got to visually verify it. The problem is like with this one. You know, where the guy's fighting me. It's the second floor. There's rooms over garage. You know, there's open areas. You can't, you know, you can't, you got to go off the blueprints. And then you, you know, find a section or whatever. And it didn't make a difference anyway. It made zero difference in the price. It was like 50 square feet difference. And we only typically, the market only in this area typically recognizes like a 100 square foot difference. Probably more like, yeah, some 10%. So, you know, so. so there's a rebuttal process, and then there's some sort of appeal process. Too, yep, right? that's all together. That you get one, most of you give you one appeal. You know, you send everything out, you know, no back and forth. You know, okay, you didn't like those three comps, here's three more. Yeah. You no. get one. <laughs> and don't laugh, it Chicken has happened. Dates, comps, here yeah, it's, like it's still going. Yep, it's still going on. So, but there's that, and you you're done with that. You're fine. Then the other end is your underwriters. Yeah. And then they can send me 10 different things. You know, and, if and unfortunately, I, you have to listen to them. Well, it's the same. A lot of times, they'll, a lot of the lenders are pulling their own comps and they say, you know, we're not looking, we just want you to consider these or explain why you didn't use them. And it's the same deal. You know, some, they're, they're not, you know, an underwriter is not an appraiser. Yeah. They're not trained. No, let me explain my job to you. Yeah, sir. exactly. Yeah, in the in the two years of apprenticing, yeah. and they're probably twenty two. Have a hair lip. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like milk. Still working at college, uh, Dave. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Why? Why did you use these three? Yeah. yeah so, but I got that. But my dad was an underwriter, so okay. that's where I kind of learned. And they, you know, like I said, that's one. You know, that's all we do. So you learn how to communicate with the underwriter beast. <sighs> yeah, not to talk to him at all. <laughs> well, there, do there was only a little time where we, we overlapped. And my dad, we were never, we never crossed paths. I never even got near any of the stuff he would even look at. Not in the company, there was no... You know, no supplying me with work or nothing. Matter of fact, he made sure I didn't get any of it. Kind of you, you struggle, know. make it on your own. Yeah, but yeah, and that's basically it. And they're, and that's one little piece of the pie. You know, it's our whole pie, but they yeah. only, you know, every little thing else is what they worry about. They're not trained to that. So I get a lot of interesting requests and stuff. But yeah, and I've have, I've had. On one appraisal, the realtor screaming at me the value's too low, and the underwriter screaming at me the value's too high. Yeah. And, you know, what do you do the then? Middle. Well, you just as long as you do it right, you have to explain. And like I said, most of the time I've picked the correct comps. And like in Redford, like you were talking, your one hundred fifty thousand dollars Redford house is probably twenty five comps I could use. I yeah. picked three of them. You know. The realtor might pick another three. The underwriter might pick, you know, 
in in those cases, you can get two or three different appraisers in there who pick, you know, different comps. It's so this is a line opinion. of work. You better not mind explaining your yes, work. Otherwise, it's, you're going to go crazy. It all it all comes <laughs> down to it's an opinion and a value, and it's my opinion. Now, technically, they all should in the in, you know on paper they no matter. What comp you use? If you use all twenty of them, they should come out to the same value if you do the adjustments right. And that's what the problem is. You you got to have the adjustments right, and the realtors don't understand that. And a lot of times, the lenders don't either. And across the board adjustments, you know, they don't like it. I mean, it happens, um, and sometimes it's just because you have them doesn't mean you can't prove them. I might have five comps over here telling me that that air conditioner is worth $1,000. It doesn't show on my appraisal, but I got five other sales that show that it's a $1,000 adjustment. You put it in here. The bank says, well, no, you're not, you know, it's across the board. How can you prove that? Well, you know, there's hundreds of comps in this neighborhood. You, you don't just use what's on that paper. You use what you've used, and that's where your experience comes in, too. Yeah. You know, I've got notes everywhere where okay i figured you know and they're normally good for a season you know summer selling season winter selling season whatever you know this is what the florida room in south redford yeah you start for. to see patterns right? yeah yeah you and you write it down you so keep often. it yeah, yeah you got you get patterns and then you know what that is you know and that's match pairing over here and there's you know extraction methods and everything else but that's all on a case-by-case basis. So that's really interesting, though, that conventional has raised their standards to pretty much to be on par with FHA, because that was going to be my next question, is um, all the appraisals you're doing, what percentage of, I mean, are you getting close to the number? I mean, I know your goal is not the number. Your goal is uh, to follow the directions. It goes in streaks. We've been up and down uh, recently. Been doing, you know, they've been pretty much right on on sales. See, on refinances now, they cannot give us any kind of value, so we don't have a clue what their loan amount is or what they need or anything else. We just give them the value and that's it. So there's no, you know, in the old days they'd want, you know, we need two hundred thousand dollars. The refinance, well, you know, we knew that and you could hit that. Now you, they can't give you any of that kind of information. Mm-hmm. So on all refinance, anything other than a sale. Do you even know or you just do it and you send it off and that's all you No, know. you don't know. You don't so have you a clue. So you just have no clue. We have or... no clue. Oh. We are not in contract. Dave's screwing over the lives of hundreds of people getting refinance. <laughs> the clue you get is when they come with their rebuttal. Ah, oh, yeah. Yeah. The, you get a hate email. Yeah. You ruined my life and my refinance. I'm working on writing one right now. And, you know, and it's it's a, you know, it's a refinance. I don't know what the amount is. It's a cookie cutter, condo, three bedroom. They're all the same. Not Come a good in time and, to be comping condos either. Yeah. So. And it's, you know, this is what it is. And, you know. They they need more to get out of PMI and they're just screaming up and down sideways. I, I you know there's not give me something I can use and they and, and they keep coming back and that's where the like I said about the square footage you know you only hear about problems when it 
This has seven extra square feet, Dave. Why you, that's not a $5,000 price. Well, the problem is, you know, they send, and it's a newer construction, yeah. they send out, you know, I'm sure everybody's seen the floor plan that the builder gives you. Yeah. And it's got the bedrooms and all the inside. They never give you any measurements. Well, the guy sends it over and it's, you know, it's 200 square feet bigger than the one I've got. But it's, a, you know, it's a model type. Some of them are wider. Some of them have options, you know, and he's going, oh, that's how much mine, you know, that's what he thinks his is. Then you compare it to the city. Well, you know, the city's got the correct data. It's not anywhere close to what this is. Whoops. So, but this is for all those models. Some of those models in this complex, they're all the same, but they're a little wider. They might be three, four, five, you know, three, three or four feet wider than the end ones. The end ones are a little skinnier. These that make it's, much, much of a difference. Well, if they're 35, you know, 35 foot wall times three. That's, there's, there's your 100 square feet. Ah, true. And, you know, that's what he's probably, that's what I'm assuming he's screaming at because I double checked everything. And then, you know, and he sends you that, which I never had to start. And there's this little section that the city missed of a loft. So it's extended out, like I said, you know, it's about five by 10 I missed. There's your 50 square feet. But now it's the exact same size as all the other comps. And he's thinking he's going to get more money because he's going, oh, it's 50 square feet bigger. And I'm doing the price per square foot at the top. The 100 and, yeah. and anybody listening, appraising has nothing to do with the total price per square footage. On the house. Matter no. of fact, if we use that's a that, really poor way to determine the value of a house. That's for informational purposes only, and if we use it, it's a violation. Yeah. And unfortunately, the this homeowner is thinking that he goes, "Well, it's fifty feet bigger, and it was like two hundred bucks per square foot." So he's thinking fifty times two hundred. That's how many thousand more he's going to get. I'm going to make my loan now. Sorry, dude. Frank God, what do you want me to do about this? Well, in the, in the real world, you know, the market really doesn't perceive a difference of about 100 square feet. So I went from being 50 square feet smaller than all my comps, which I'd never adjusted for anyway, to almost the exact same square footage of the, the comps. Yeah, it's not going to get you a price increase. Uh, not a dime no, because it's... Value increase, yeah. You know, no. and I went back to them, I said... Listen, you're the same size as them before. I didn't take off for it, so I can't give it back to you because it was never taken away. And that's the problem. It, you know, People go to the price per square footage, and I had that on one guy. He just kept on harping on it. And his comps had a finished basement, and he was on a slab, and he was doing a price per square footage. Can't do that, dude. Yeah, it doesn't take into account any of that. Compare apples to apples. Yep. Yeah, for those listening, it's really important that if you can, if it's a ranch, compare it to a ranch. If it's on a slab, compare it to a slab. If it has a basement unfinished, you really have to do your best to compare. 1,400 square feet and 1,200 square feet, not as big a deal as a ranch and a colonial. Yeah. Or a basement and a crawl space or a slab. That stuff really does um, really does matter. Let's, so this is something I thought was interesting, and I think will help all the flippers, or at least anybody interested in in either refinancing and or flipping their investment property. Something you've talked about several times here. I want to expand upon it. 
you don't always get the value out that you put in, which does mean you need to buy at a good price, but are there investments you make in your house where you do get a better return out? And I'll use the example of the kitchen because we already used that one where if you're not careful, you can spend 10 grand on the kitchen and essentially have the same kitchen. So you didn't get a, a value increase in the house. You know, if the cabinets were, were perfectly functional, looked great, but were just outdated as far as fashion goes, and you spend 10 grand tearing out putting in a new kitchen to the exact same quality level, yep. you didn't actually increase the value of your house. At all, nope. But are there some, I don't know, let's do like, are there some investments you can make that will get you a better return and what what is there anything that you think you should just never do is you should just never get your money out uh, unless you're doing a complete flip typically anything you put in right before you sell it you're not gonna get a dollar per dollar um i tell a lot of people you know personal preference personal use is great um I mean, you want to basically, and it has a lot to do with marketability. If you, every house on the block's updated and yours is not, your marketability is probably lower because typically everybody's looking for that nicer house. Um, that might cost you time, marketing time. So if you want to keep your marketing time similar, you're going to have to reduce the price. So keeping up with the Joneses, I tell people, Whatever your neighbors have, that's what you should have. If you're the only house with an unfinished basement, then you might have a problem. If, but if nobody's got a finished basement, don't finish it. Yeah, because you're probably not going to You're gonna never going to recoup those costs. That's a really good point. Okay. So. And then, you know, we did that flip in, uh, in Dearborn Heights. We didn't put granite in. We put it in a really nice Formica. Um, that area demands a lot of ceramic, so there was no vinyl, it was all ceramic. Um, you know, it just, we ended up using Home Depot cabinets because they, that's basically what the neighborhood demanded. And, you know, and we sold it in no time and made a hefty profit. Yeah, I was going to so, so, okay, and, for those listening, it's really important that... You take don't just examine the house you want to buy, but compare it to the entire neighborhood. How how far do you think they should go when they're comparing? Um, typically, the market area, uh, school system, Dearborn Heights, Crestwood Schools, that kind of thing. Um, You know, the whole. If you're in a non-historic district of Detroit, I mean, you're not going to put granite in. No. If you're going up to Birmingham, you're not going to put vinyl in. No, you're going to put a lot of granite. Yeah, I mean, it's just. It's and that's just it. You got to be careful what you put in. Um, you can overdo it. I mean, there's a lot of granite scraps out there. You got a small kitchen. If you can get it, you know, for a tiny fraction more, then great. Then you're gonna you probably sell it a lot quicker. You might not sell it for more, but if you're flipping, time's money. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. and that's what we did. Time's we, always money. You got that alligator eating. Yeah, whether you borrowed the money or not. Yep. Insurance, property tax, yep, everything, utilities, just munching at you. Yep. You also brought up a good point too. I want to come back just because I don't want to skip over it. Where there's not necessarily anything wrong with selling a home below 
what the average neighborhood is too if you get a good enough deal and or you make a price adjustment accordingly because you're talking about hey if you want if you're the only house without a finished basement you're probably going to have to reduce the price to get a similar marketing time there's not necessarily anything wrong with that if you made up for that in your purchase price that was part of your exactly and part of your plan not a problem just don't be assuming you're gonna sell an unfinished basement at finished basement prices exactly when everybody in the neighborhood has a finished basement that would be unrealistic yep and don't finish the basement if it's going to cost you ten thousand dollars and you're only going to see a five thousand dollar return yeah that's what i mean about doing it right beforehand i mean you finish the basement off you're going to live there for 10 years and you want to finish basement don't just do it there's really no People like you had said, you know, what do I do to make my house better? Well, you keep up with the Joneses, but it's all personal preference. Buddy of mine put a spent overbuild his house, put a big addition on, you know, priced himself right out of the market, but he didn't have to move. He was going to live there twenty years. Yeah, he didn't care. He didn't care. It's you know, sometimes you have to take in, you know, you got to pay commission, you got to pay sales transfer tax, you got to pay to move. You know, over overbuilding or over improving doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing either. If you're going to live there, you know, if that's what you want and you plan on staying there, it's livability and marketability. Because those typical houses sell; they might you might not get your money, but if you price it the same as your neighbors, you're going to be the first house sold, and that's. You know, I did that flip in 2009. We sold it in one day. Yeah, I remember Because that. we probably, you know, you got to know what you're doing. You and made a good chunk of money on that, too, didn't you? It was like, uh... Yeah, well, we got into it. Nobody wanted it. Dearborn Heights has, uh... Yeah, they're difficult to work with. They're difficult, and they wanted a whole new driveway, uh, which a lot of people just got right out. It needed a new roof. They wanted a roof and a driveway. That pretty much killed them. It was water in the basement. The water in the basement had to do with, uh, back to the FHA, with the grading. We took care of the water problem with a new driveway that wasn't pitched into the into the house. So he's amazing. And how many driveways are pitched into the house? I cannot freaking believe that. I'm hoping they settled. Maybe that's what no. happened. Michigan... And this area is clay. When you dig out a basement, they dig out two or three feet past to put in the forms. They backfill that with dirt. That clay out here is never going to move. So it's like a glass of water, basically. just fills up with water and just sits right against your basement wall. Yeah. And it's contained by the wall and the clay. Yeah. And then plus, like I said, that fill dirt, that settles. Yeah. It's going to compress. So that clay has been there for 10,000 years. So that's so why. every yeah. house is going to have that problem. They have that problem so many times. And you just look and you go, well, that's just going to be a known problem. Because I'm not going to tear up the driveway to... Put in a sump pump or something. Yeah. But. Well, the driveway was well. And what they had done is they had a concrete driveway and they put a two-inch asphalt cap on it on their own, which was against code. So that's basically they told us to take out the two-inch cap. They didn't really tell us to take out the driveway. So and go from there. But still, yeah, still, just right. a, you know. But that's in. 
our problem was every time it rained, the water come into the basement. But downspout, no end. It, it was cut off. Yeah, just far up the water right there. Right down the foundation wall and it come right in. I mean, yeah. we fixed fixed all of that in, you know, with grading. I mean, it took us a weekend. And a pickup, you know, a couple pickup trucks, you know, loaded with dirt. Yeah. And, you know, we put window wells in. You can buy the window. The window wells are 20 bucks each at Home Depot. You know, four windows and done. But nobody wanted that house. We paid 25 for it. Wow. We sold it for 85 Put a ton of work into it, though, too, did you? Yeah, we, well, you know, it's kind of hard to say because I paid my wife. I paid my son. I paid my daughter. <laughs> My, you know, and I did it as a business. So, you know, with paying them, we made $25,000 in 26 weeks. That's pretty good. Then whatever I paid, you know, that was obviously their income was income from doing work on the house. So if you want to call it a family affair, it's probably I probably paid them probably another ten grand for labor. So we probably made 35000 it's very for, egalitarian of you to pay your your family members and your children. Normally, aren't you just supposed to treat them like unpaid help? Or <laughs> well, it was a summer. You're related to me. You're working. For yeah. Free. Well, you know, my son. It was my son. You know, we did it during the summer. It was my children's summer job. So, and it he treated like family. a business. Yeah, keep it in the family. Yeah, I mean, so you got to got to pay somebody to do the labor. And that's stuff, a great so. segue. I think that's a great segue into some success principles here so you really got your foothold in this business because your father essentially made it a priority in your life and part of the family life correct yeah what did that look like like what what did uh mr deska dad deska what what did that look like because i see you kind of doing it with your kids too where I mean, financial success and all that it can be multi-generational as well. So. Yeah, I mean, my dad, I mean, that was the summer, you know, starting out with the summer job. He just asked me out of the blue, do you want to do this as a summer job? And I said, okie dokie, jumped in. Did he have to bait the hook or anything? Or No, I mean, they were looking for somebody to do it. Just like, you know, me paying my children yeah. is the same thing. If I didn't do it. They're going to have some other minimum wage type person just, you know. And I think it was more of a trust issue. He knew I wasn't going to just, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> you know, he really wanted these houses looked at. This, you know, this is the company business. You know, they're holding their own paper. They want to know what these houses look like. So, you know. I got it because I was his son. He knew I wouldn't screw him over. So I did that. As far as the house, buying the first house, that was kind of falling into. I mean, I was trying to buy a house on my own and do everything. And I was just stumbling over myself and everything. And it basically took my father going, you know, you dumbass, this is what you need to do kind of thing. And then, you know, the VA part, it was just, Frosting on the cake. You know, he was originally going to try to help me, you know, maybe buy something because I didn't have it, you know. Even back then, 
you know, you could go in the FHA at 3%, but it was the same thing. We were looking to make equity. He knew I could work on houses. He knew I was a go-getter. He knew that. You can't, just like today, you can't qualify for FHA on a house that needs work. Yeah. Work. Yeah. So it's, you know, oxymoron, catch-22, or whatever you want to call yeah, it. you can't put sweat equity into... Exactly. I mean, the house either is financeable or it's not. Yep, you know? and, you know, it came down to my dad was probably going to help me out in one way or the other, but it just ended up working out. I mean, you couldn't have got a better scenario. I mean, it just... it, it But... You know, we're talking about a time period of probably six months. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't, we didn't just go out and find a house. I mean, I was looking, you know, we go through the inventory. Okay, nothing. Okay, now we're going to wait, see what new inventory comes up kind of deal. So, you know, about once a month we'd look and then once a month, next month do it. It took time. What did the decision process look like? I mean, I know you guys, because basically you're going out, you're looking, you're processing information, then you're. You're putting out an output, which basically means I'm not happy yet. Well, do, was, do you remember what the kind of process looked like or what your... Long, drawn out, and a pain because my dad just, you know, if he was going to have anything to do with it, he, he was going to... He wanted a deal and that was going to be it. Yep, and, yep, okay. yep. You know, he want my wait. help. Yeah. Yep, you know, wait or whatever. Yeah. So, yep. So, yeah, so it took six months, you know, to so find sometimes it. you do have to wait to find the right deal, period. Same with the flip in Dearborn Heights. I mean, yeah. we overlooked a lot of houses, and we fell into this one because it was the second. It, it had already been rejected twice. Mm-hmm. People had tried to buy it. And it typically, we had to pay cash for it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, this was a cash sale, and it wasn't going anywhere else because of the condition it was in. But it was it was originally like at 40000 We offered them the twenty five, and they took it. I bet you wish you would offer twenty, huh? You would, yeah, you never. That's know. one of those things. You're like, wait a second, I should have offered less. Yeah. We ran it. Well, we ran into problems and issues and stuff, but Always. you know, we should have made a lot more, but you know, we didn't. But we made enough. I mean, that I'm an appraiser by trade. That was just when appraisal work was down to, you know, zero. Yeah, that's actually something I was gonna talk about. Um, I'm gonna come back to it though. So. It's like a family affair. How did you get your wife and your children involved? Did you have to persuade them, or were you like, "Hey, this is just what we're doing"? Uh well, the children, <laughs> the children, they've, you know, they went through the process with the houses. My daughter, with the baby on the hip, and oh my god, my daughter when she was four years old wanted to help dad. I would have her down here holding the end of the. You know, the wainscoting or whatever. Yeah. And I'd be down here screwing it in. And she just, she wanted to be daddy's helper. That that's, was that's just. a pretty good four-year-old right there. Yeah. And it, it, that was. not pay her anything with food either. Nope. No, matter of fact, I couldn't get rid of her. Yeah. I mean, she was, she, <laughs> I had, there was a couple times. You I'm know, helping you whether you want this help or not. Exactly. And some yeah. of the stuff, you, you know, you, <laughs> Dad, come get you. <laughs> Get, the, get your daughter. Your get daughter. her out. Yeah, get her out of here before something falls and breaks. Or, but no, she wanted to learn, wanted to do that. My son was pretty much the same way. And it, it's been in there. Like I said, my wife was pregnant when we were working on the house. That was just, you know, when we got married, she knew what she was getting into. And that was just, and it's money making. You know, I told her, you know, you talk about goals and plans and yeah, everything. Yeah. 
I said, you know, we follow this plan, we do this, the house will be paid off, and we'll have, I got 18 months left. See, but your dad was the one who convinced you to get the 15-year mortgage. Do you remember what that conversation was like, or? Uh, yeah, he, t- he, he told everybody, I tell everybody I can too, if you can afford the difference in the payment, which is normally not really much, Ten percent, fifteen. Yeah, about maybe. that. Yeah. yeah. If you can afford that, do it because the amortization is just incredible. I mean, you you know, you pay on a thirty year loan. Ten years in, you've paid you know a thousand dollars in equity. <laughs> yeah, that's it's Nothing. all interest, yeah. and, it, and people just don't get that, and you don't reset it. People the first are, seven years of a thirty year amortized loan is. Like ninety percent interest. Yeah. So with a fifteen year, you're well on your way to paying it off in seven eight years. Yeah, because the, you're paying a lot more right out of the gate in principal than yeah. than interest. And like I said, we're we moved in t- twelve years ago, and I did do the harp, but I've been adding payments onto it. Like I said, I got maybe 18 months and that house is paid for wow so you're, you're at the end man I am yeah we haven't been in 12 years yeah so that's the way to do it that's, that's like forced uh, that's forced equity and of course you've been teaching your children this too and everybody else I, you know everybody you have an opportunity to right now if you're listening to the podcast this is a great thing to do one of the reasons why I really like some of Dave's story is everybody thinks they have to go out and do 100 houses a year or some crap like that. No, this is something you can do if you're just newly married or you want to, maybe you want to build into that, like that beautiful home you have in Canton now. Yeah, took three houses. Yeah, took three you houses. two houses to yeah, get there. Yeah, our third house, yep. But you rolled your equity, your yep. sweat equity in, all that. You're not uh, driving a Bentley or anything like that, but you have nope. a very nice house. Real estate and creative real estate, and I think entrepreneurship is for everyone. If you're listening, I really encourage you. This is something you probably can do. Obviously, go check with all your lawyers and all that other stuff, but you don't have to do 100 deals a year. You don't have to be a professional real estate investor. You just, you know, have a goal. And now I want to segue right into what did that look like? What did the, did your father set goals with you? No, it was more when my parents moved to Denver. I had a choice of staying here or moving with them. And obviously I stayed here. I had to defend money for myself. Yep. And you got to remember, this is the middle of the end of the... The worst time. Yeah, you, you can't get any worse. I My car payment had a 16.5% interest oh. rate on it. 16.5. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, and... That's yeah. like some used car loan... You know. Yeah, it's that was for that was a good payment, yeah, and you know, and I ended up falling on my face. I mean, the job market that you know the eighties were as as worse as the Great Depression up until we had the Great Recession. Yeah. I always think, by the so, way, is I don't know if this is accurate, but you remember Deer Hunter when they're like kind of like uh, working in the steel factory and everything's run down and they're like running or was is that was that kind of what southeast michigan looked like uh, yeah that's yeah that's when all all the auto workers yeah. and we michigan was at 10% and everything was bad i mean i was driving a truck and i basically ended up homeless and i said 
No. Yeah, I mean, I ended up moving back with my parents, and of course, I didn't know anybody in Denver. No. I mean, nothing. I mean, my school, even only half my credits would transfer because it was a West Coast versus East Coast kind of thing, and it just... So I moved back here, and I ended up sleeping on my... my, uh, The guy that moved in with me, my college roommate, I was at his parents' house sleeping on the floor for like three months until I got going I got back into Kentucky Fried Chicken and I got into truck driving and I just finally said I'm going to and I, I and don't ask me which book it was but I had read a book about exactly what I did I mean we didn't do anything special we bought a house with the money we had you know and you don't even have, you know I could have done it without my dad it would have just been a little harder yeah um and he didn't give us a dime. I mean, don't get me wrong. He, I had to pay him for everything. Yeah. I mean, we just got lucky with the, you know, the money being rolled in from, you know, paying for the closing costs and all that. I mean, I paid. We'll call the that rent. Luck. That was good. Uh, yeah, that was, that was good, good finance. Yes, yeah. my dad knew. You see, I, I didn't have a clue that you know that was him. He knew. You know, he was he in the mortgage you business. The ropes, like, yes. Hey, boy, get some money out of this. Yep, yeah. and he and he that kind of. Now he never did anything like that. Matter of fact, he ended up other than when Pulte relocated him, he was always at the wrong end of the yeah the deal. They ended up losing money all the way along. But I mean, I bought that first house, and you know, once we refinanced it and bought it from my dad, which it was a sale. It wasn't a refinance. It was you know. I bought it. I got my own loan. Yeah, and that was at that fifty-eight thousand until today. You got to look at that. That that was nineteen eighty-nine. I haven't done anything special. I mean, every house we got, the next house, the next fi- fixer-upper was almost double. Then we went to this house, and this one was almost double. We didn't take. We took all that money and rolled it in. Yeah, you compounded your sweat equity and your house equity and the fifteen-year mortgages and that house. Now almost have your third house paid off. Yeah, it's, house. Yeah, the um, it's almost. Actually, it is. It's back up to where what it, yeah. what I bought it at, which was three seventy, and I think the payoff on it right now is about sixteen. And you're not that old. I know you're always kidding yourself about how old you are. <laughs> you're not actually that old. No. So. And and all that, I mean, I didn't do anything other than make my mortgage payment and roll it into the next house. Yep. I mean, that's just... And I see... And, and I just did an appraisal not too long ago. Right after everything hit the fan, this guy was in his house. He'd been in, oh, I've been in this house for 30 years. You know, I'm going to lose my house. I need, you know, I need you to come in at this amount. And I'm going, oh, my God, it's double what his house is worth. Yeah. I'm going, how can you be in this house for 30 years? And not have it paid off. Just not have, or, and be that far upside down. Well, he probably didn't have a father like you, I'll tell you that. Yeah, well, yeah. a lot of people, they cash out or, you know, and I'm, you know, and the, most of the mortgage people, you know, I'm not going to say anything bad about them because they, you know, it's life, but it, it's cash flow is king. Yeah. And that's not their fault. That's other people's fault. You got to understand when I make my house payment, if 700 of that dollars 
is equity. That's exactly what it is. That's putting money in the bank. Yes. I'm paying $300 in interest. That's just gone. You know, some of these guys go, oh, I can lower my house payment by, you know, 100 bucks a month. Well, you just reset your clock on your mortgage to start, so you're back to 30 years or whatever. You know, if you were into it a little bit, now you're, again, you're paying more interest than principal. And you basically set the first seven years of money on fire. Yep. Just, you're, just take it every every month and just set it on fire, and that's... You start paying on year eight, really, essentially. Yeah. And there's no such thing as a free loan. No. You're paying for the appraisal. You're paying your points or whatever. You're paying. It's all getting paid. A lot of you know, you know, it's getting rolled in. Well, yeah. Well, it's rolled into your mortgage amount. Your mortgage amount, if you had fifty thousand, now it's fifty five. You're saving a hundred bucks a month. You just went up five grand on your principal, and then you just reset your clock yeah. for your interest. Now, granted, you might be able to save a, you know, you got to weigh it out versus if you're getting a reduction in rate. Well, I think very few people are probably doing that kind of calculation. I So for those listening, if you're one of the few people who can make highly, very, very, very highly, you know, I don't know, really high interest rate investments where... You can refinance, and that two hundred bucks a month you save, you can invest at a much higher interest rate. And you, but we both know most of the time that's complete <laughs> bullshit. You just want an extra two hundred drinking dollars or something like or, or I, something. I know people that you know they roll their cars in. Yeah, and they roll every time. Yeah, every time. And you got, and that's probably the biggest lesson for my father was just. Do it. Stick with it. Don't refinance. You know, just because the interest rate comes down, you know, even a half point, you got to figure out. And he had some way of figuring it out. Yeah. And you know, you got to figure out where the break-even point is. You know, and if it's over ten years, forget it. And that was his logic. You know, just don't don't change it. Because my first house. The house on Indian was 6.65 was the interest rate. That's ridiculously high, but back then, that was a hell of a... That was good. That was damn good. Yeah. Actually, that was damn good to like 2008. Yep. That was a damn good interest rate to have. And then the second house, our first house in Canton, was 5.5. Another good one. That was another good rate. Still high now. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you know that right would be now. a subprime loan right now at five and a half percent. And I fast. think I'm paying uh, four or four and a quarter right now. Yeah. You know, I could refinance, but you know, what, yeah. you know like I said, it's going to be. I'm on the bottom end. I like I said, my payment. Like I don't I think like, they'll refinance your last three years. They would love it though if you wouldn't get another thirty-year loan. Hello, Dave. Well, well, yeah, you can. Some of the somebody is going on vacation, yeah. getting that bonus if Dave goes and does that. Yeah, if I can't. <laughs> well, you know, people, you know, if I was the getting a car accident, I can't make my house payment. Then yeah, I could do it and lower my payment to you know a third of what I'm paying now. But and that's the problem. A lot of people see that. You know, they pay that equity off and they see they can reduce it by that much. But they don't understand you have to look at that payment to see how much is equity. Because that equity is not out of pocket. 
that's just deferred money. Especially if you bought at a good price. Yeah. Or, a, or anyway, because unless you're going to short sale it, you know, and you screw up your credit, but, you know, if you're not thinking along that lines, because I know people that just maxed out and then just bailed out, you know, but if you're trying to, like I said, lifelong, you know, that all that money is nothing but just standard house payments. And obviously the flip and then the moving, but well, yeah. you know, yeah. but you, you know, you, I, you know, Dave's kind of a hustler. He gets a little slow. He's gonna go flip a house. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So what you make? Yeah, you got to stay busy. Got to pay the bills. Actually, so, so. that's a good question. Do you think the rough, the actually the terrible, basically Midwest economy when you were coming of age? You think that had anything to do with you going your own way and mm-hmm. kind of doing your own appraisal company and and heading out that direction? Yeah, I've always been type A, a personality. Just yeah. go, go, go. I mean, I can't see working, you know, I work for people, but I can make more money working for myself. Well, do you, do you remember? Would you know if there's ever a time where you're like, you know what, I think I'm just going to do this. I'm tired of doing it for other people. Was that always 93. Before? 93? Yeah, because I was doing, I was stuck in a rut. I was pretty much maxed out where I was. No hope for further advancement? Or no, I mean, not, you know, it couldn't get better. The hours sucked, you know, just, and, but I had a, I had to jump off the diving board into the deep end and swim. But that adversity sometimes makes that jump a little easier. Yeah. Well, I knew it was going to be hard. And my, you know, my wife was pregnant. Ooh. I had a, I mean, stakes were high. We're setting. Yeah, the, this. Setting the yeah, stage. it's like. Matter of fact, wife at home. I had a buddy. Two jobs. <laughs> yep. That I, my best friend at the time, you know, he had basically the same opportunity, and he said no. And I'm here, and he's yeah here, and it's just it's you just sometimes you just gotta, you know, take a leap of faith, and that's what it was. And it was hard. I mean, you just got to deal, you know, like I said, I was working, uh, I was working in an appraisal company during the day as a status manager. I would uh, get off work. I'd go to the guy I used to work for and after they would close and do his machine maintenance and stuff like that. So I'd just work all by myself. You know, I'd walk in and there'd be a list of what I needed to do. I would do that list. When I got done with that list, I'd go home. Mm-hmm. So I would get off work from my uh, uh, appraisal job, go home, eat dinner, change into work clothes, and go to work. You know, so I'd, I'd be home at six. I'd normally go in at seven. At the you know the other job, I'd normally, it's about two hours a night. So work until nine. I get home. It was just literally five minutes down the road. Um, yeah, home come. and start your business. You've already worked for two people. Yep, and then I would come home, and then that's when I started start the typing for other people to get my hours in. And if you're listening and you have to do something this difficult, I would say that you are worth it and that nobody else is going to do it. And if you're not going to do it, it's just not going to happen. Like your your friend who chose... Not to do it, yeah. I knew it was going to be two two years you got to make the commitments, two years, yeah. and just put up with the BS. Then my wife got pregnant. That was that was the icing on the cake. But luckily enough, I had made a deal with the guy to have 
a little less wages and good insurance. Ah. Because Smart I knew man. I knew we Pigeon were gonna, yes, we were trying to get pregnant, so I knew and it, so it kinda all worked out. But you know, I had my wife couldn't work. No. We had a two year old or three year old home and then, and then she got pregnant and it was just Yeah, the first four years they basically just you have to keep them alive every day. Oh yeah. Like, they try and die on you every day. <laughs> <laughs> and you gotta just keep the damn thing alive and happy and Yeah, and then but you know As I soon get, as that's done then you gotta teach it to read, you know? So Wow, that must have been a long two years. It was. Yeah. And it was rough on my wife. And in the, in the same time, you know, by then, though, we had pretty much finished up that house in Redford. Yeah. And that was the first one, right? That was the first one. And yeah. we just went through that next two years until I started the business. And then the first year of the business was all right. That's when we, you know, so that was three years. We were three years in and then three more years. Then we moved up to Canton and started the whole process over again. But by, you know, I had to get through that. And it wasn't probably, it was probably, you had to do it all within a year. Those 2,000 hours? Yeah, yeah, kind of deal. So there was a, probably a little spread. And when I first got started, I was I didn't start my own business. I had to start working for Gedrich. And I know he didn't want to get rid of me because, and he I was working part-time with both, which just, it was back to just, you know, once I figured out that I could make a lot more money appraising, I quit him, and you know he's only one piece of the puzzle. Then I start picking up people to work for. So I, you know, ninety seven, I went Build completely. Your own clientele. Yeah, and then and nine. That's when in oh eight, when HVCC came into account, every client I had disappeared. Oh, they re- rewrote the road where you couldn't. Every one of my clients was a loan officer. And as of that date, no loan officers could order appraisals. So everybody was going. That's actually when we met, though, in 2008. So Dave even had a plan then. That's I guess that's when you decided you wanted to be a net networking. That was going to be part of your growth plan or, or new. Well, new. The, the, the desktop and yeah. that all came about. I got a call one day uh, from somebody who had gotten my name. And said, hey, I had this guy doing these things for me. He said, can you do something for me like that? I said, I don't have a clue. I said, what, you know, and I think back then they were, he was paying them 70 bucks or 75. Yeah, I remember it was 70, 75. 75, yeah. yeah. So I think it was 75. And this was probably 2002, 2003. And... I said, okay, well, I said, let's meet. And I sat down and we figured all this, what he needed and this and that. Let's explain the desktop because not everybody listening. A desktop would be the minimum state requirement yep. that you could legally actually put on a piece of paper. But, yep. But it's the least amount of work you can put into a yep. value. Yep. That's the minimum. That's the, that's the starting point. still have to be legal. Yep. It's legal. That's basically the starting point. So but it's, it's a rough. It's a rough guess. Better than the average person's rough guess because yeah. that's what you do for a living. Yeah, it's but a step still, above a market analysis. It's better than any market analysis than you're the, ever going to get. It's better than anything you're going to get from, <laughs> sorry, but realtors. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. And you were charging $75 for yep. these. And you remembered this when the shit hit the fan. So when 2008 came, you were just sitting at home. Oh, no. It actually it started in 2000. You were just one of... 
ten other guys yeah. I was working with. Now, That's a hustle right there. He was out chasing them down. Oh, well, the, it got to the point where I would do the desktop, and I found them some lenders that would do them. So I, would, I actually hooked them up with the lenders, and I would do the appraisals for them on the finished product. There you go. I mean, it got... It got to the point where I would say three quarters of my business was that kind of just nothing but those flips and those kind of things. That's just you know what I never would have known that was true if I hadn't asked you there. You just made that look so easy when you were doing it that because you're just a grizzly old vet didn't look hard at all when you were going through it. No, I knew when you're I knew you when you were doing this. And oh no, it's like I said. I personally am glad. Because I consider myself one of the ethical appraisers, and the non-ethical appraisers were the only ones getting work before HVCC hit because we were in the declining market. Yeah, nobody wanted to do one hundred twenty-five percent. Nobody wanted you to mark no. declining. They didn't want. They wanted false data on the appraisal, and if you put it down, they wouldn't use you. Wow. So if you told the truth, they found somebody that wouldn't. It's like fuck it. I'm telling the truth. Well, you had to. Business all, going down. <laughs> all no, actually, those guys because all those got audited. But temporarily, you were it cost you money for a couple of years. To, yeah, to, to get in that. It, yeah, because I w- I would have went out of business before HVCC took over anyway. Yeah. What kept me going was all those flips. So I I had gone over because that was a niche market at that time and there was a lot of them everybody was doing them. Yeah. they were selling they were going nuts everywhere every it was just good business yeah. i mean if you look at the appraisals of god i quote you know they had newspaper articles saying this was the greatest thing for detroit you know it's you know they're taking these bank owns and fixing them up and making them you know the nicest house on the block just doing whole blocks at a time you know it was great yeah we did we did quite a few yeah, but you know that it has to do more with uh, you know financing. Then they, yeah. sh- they they cut funding. They just cut everybody off, and then all the then Detroit. That was just a product of Detroit. They just panicked. Way. I think they just panicked between the fraud and then the panic. Yep. Because well, after the fraud, they kind of fixed it and they kind of cranked well, down, and you had to have down payments again, and you had it to- was more a problem with the financing. They were giving loans to people that couldn't afford the loans so two years into all these screwy loans people yeah. couldn't afford it i go i drive through the neighborhoods that i did appraisals for yeah, these jacked. were really nice houses really nice areas now they're all burned out and all boarded up yeah it's because people couldn't well once the value started falling people weren't going to continue to pay for a of course not, $125,000 house and then a lot of them couldn't they could have. They should never qualified to start, but they were just given given money away. So you know, some of these people just couldn't afford the payments. It's an interesting time in history. We probably live in a time where people. I don't know. You you might actually know this. It seems like more foreclosures, more bad credit, more walking away. It's just a different. Just like just about everybody I know got jacked up, beat up, foreclosed. Yeah, and a lot of people just they just said forget it. I mean, once short sale, pro, you know, just it's just easier to walk away. When do you think this will ever happen again? I mean, do you think this will? Oh, it'll come back. You think so? I mean, they're just saying we're in a little bit of a bubble right now. 
Um, they've gotten a lot better, but it has nothing to do with the banking. It's back to our conversation, people's thinking. As long as people continue to think that their house is a bank, we're going to have problems. If people start, you know, it put me out of business, but, you know, when was the last time you ever heard of a mortgage burning party? Oh, yeah, never. Shit, not my generation, man. No, I mean, they used to have them all the time. Yeah. I remember going to a couple of them for my, you know, older, you know, my parents' generation. My parents' generation is, you know, the depression babies and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, but people don't. It's cash flows king. Yeah. They're not using it to build equity. You're supposed everything's to keep... a payment, like a car payment, yep. a phone payment, a house payment. Everything's a payment now. Yep. Hell, you can get rim payments, son. Yeah. Get your rims on payments. Yeah. We're the payment generation. And that's the problem. You can't... And until that mentality changes where people are going to, you know, I'm going to get a loan and I'm going to pay for 30 years, you know, the house will be paid off, I can retire, you know, and whatever. Nobody does that. And people move a lot more, too. But as long as they've got the mentality that's a cash flow, the lower the payment, the better. I'm not building equity. I'm saving money. Yeah. Or I'm spending that money. That's the problem. As long as people are always on the edge, it only takes the next recession. You know, how many people do you know that live paycheck to paycheck? Oh, man, so many. Yeah, and if that paycheck drops, you're, you know, you're Dude, done. I, I did it twice. I was a little dumb. But I didn't, we didn't, Gina and I didn't go out and get fancy cars or fancy houses and all that, but we put all of our money into our investments and the shit at the family. I mean, that's just not a smart wing. Well, smart thing to do. I, like I said, I started... Fancy cars or investments. Let's <laughs> save some money and have some wiggle room for, for shit hitting the fan because, boy, that... Well, sometimes the shit has to hit the fan. Like I said, I got started living out of my car that's in true. Detroit. That's the spark. That's what, you know, I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 50. You know, that was my mentality. I'm done. I got it. I'm starting today and... I'm not living like this. I'm not exactly not a minute longer. You know, Thank because you, sir, ma'am. Yeah, because I I didn't have nothing. I was like I said, I had my car. By then, I luckily when I bought my car, I you know I've I'm the hustle generation. I you know it snowed. We went and shoveled snow. Yeah. You know, every time we go, come on, so all right, it'll be my buddy. And away we go. We be gone all night shoveling snow, cutting lawns. As soon as I could have, I think you had to be 14 to have a Detroit news route. When I was 14, I had a Detroit news route. All that money I saved and I saved and I saved, you know, and all that. And, you know, in high school, it's so funny. All these jobs at, you know, McDonald's and Kentucky Fried Chicken, those were all teenagers. Now and you adults. fought, and you fought over it. I mean, once you got a job, you kept it. You know, it's yes, sir, no, sir, how, how do you want me to jump, sir? You don't quit. You know, you kept that job and, you know, forever. Yeah, a better job. Yeah, exactly. And I did all that. And then, like I said, I ended up going to school. I went away for a year and I came back. It took, I finally got my bachelor's degree in 2008. Uh, after you no longer need it. <laughs> well, it was it's a priority. Yeah, year. it was a priority. Now it looks good on a resume. But yeah, yes, a lot yeah. of, but a lot of the classes I took and that's, they've raised the, no call, no student debt either, right? You paid for it, or I, no I, everything. And my yeah. my kids too. That's another yeah. 
deal I made with my children as long as they go to, you know, you know where I live in Canton. Yeah, yeah. You know, my children went to Schoolcraft, so community college for two years, and actually Eastern Michigan is closer than Schoolcraft is, parking deck, the garage. So live at home, I'll pay for your college, you know, no debt, no nothing, you know. That's, that's a good way to start life, some education. Yeah. And just you that's know. the next big boom or big crash, isn't it? The multi-trillion-dollar student debt. Yeah, that's going to cause. I, I, my nieces, both of them, they have you know like a hundred thousand dollars in debt. They went one, you know, one's a doctor, one's a nurse. One went to U of M, and you at know, least they're doctors and nurses. What about these school teachers coming out with thirty thousand? Yeah, but in I, debt? And I can't. Well, you know, it's the mentality again. My. A lot of my daughter's friends, you know, they think they're entitled to go away to college. Sorry, no. This is what you're going to get. You want to do that, then you work all summer and you pay for it. Yeah, you pay for it. You know, I'll pay for your classes, but I'm not going to pay for you to go to Michigan State and party every weekend. No. Because, you know. You had the decency to go join the Navy and ruin my life. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) I didn't go waste a bunch of student debt money to do it. What's wrong with you kids? If you're listening right now, don't go get a bunch of college debt if you're just going to go fuck it off and drink it away. And what a terrible investment. You can't even uh, you can't even file bankruptcy and wipe that. If you have... Yeah, uh, I don't even know how that you're works. You're stuck with that student. Well, because the, the feds back it. They don't oh, okay. lose money. It's your government. Yeah. They, they, they well, there were some statistics back when I first started college that like 5% of... You could work a minimum wage job four hours a day or something to pay for your college. Now it's like uh, you got to work 32 hours a day to pay for your college a minimum wage. <laughs> They're not 32 hours in a day. You're pretty screwed. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, so you you're can't not working a minimum wage job no, to pay for your college. No, you can't Unless do you it on a summer day. Years and then go to college. Yeah, well, like you said, you can't no, you can't afford it. You can't no. work a summer job. Because a lot of my generation worked a summer job to pay for it and, you know, worked during it and whatever. That's what I did. You know, I worked, I went to community college and I worked during the summer and, you know, I drove a, we delivered CF Burger Creamery. We delivered all the shake mix and ice cream. Oh, yeah. To all the Dairy Queens, all the Burger Kings, Burger Chefs, all that, all their daring milk mix so yeah during the summertime they needed extra people so i'd work full-time and then in the wintertime they, they cut me back to part-time so it worked out perfect i'd go to school and you know drive after school and then in the summertime i'd hustle you know 70 hours a week of course you also had two jobs starting a business with a pregnant wife and rehabbing a house a little tougher than the average uh... yeah well it's like i said you got to look at yeah. i don't think other than when I was away at college for the one year when I went up to Michigan Tech, I don't think I was without a job for more than a month since I turned 14. So <laughs> maybe, maybe it's the gray hair. That's, uh, I, I sit down and talk to the, I go back to my neighborhood and I look around and I go, gee, I wonder what's wrong here, you know. What are you doing at noon hanging out on your front porch? Come on, man. Oh, I know. And just get a job. 
We're starting to sound old here. <laughs> Stay off my lawn, too, while you're at it. <laughs> yeah, and a neighbor across the street like that. Yeah, so. stay off my lawn. I'm a curmudgeon. I like being a curmudgeon. Thank you very much. Well, what does the future hold? What does a frontier look like for Ian Valuations and Dave Deska? I... You're three, away, three years away from having a mortgage-burning party. Look, you should have oh, one. So well, yeah, there you go. It might even be sooner. It might be the only one I ever get to go to. <laughs> there you go. Quite frankly. <laughs> yeah, may have one, may not. You know, sometimes they tell you not to advertise that stuff. That's but true. here I am. <laughs> You'll get sued. But yeah. you don't know where he lives. It's the other Dave Tesco. Yeah, yeah, so. And when, anyway, we got a home equity line credit anyway. So. Good. Keep that. Keep title. Yeah, that's why. Plus, it's there if I ever find another house to. Flip, I can just write a check for it. <laughs> Are you going to pass this business on to your kids? Nope. Are you going to sell Neither it? one of them. Well, there's really nothing to sell. It's all goodwill. It's just all me. It's gotten, at one time, I had four or five appraisers working for me. But it's, the, right now with Frank Dodd, we're a single entity, and it's mm. just us. That's why it's so hard to get people to come into this business, you know, trying to... And my son, you know, he's he works for me every day, mm. you know, but he's not getting into this business. No, you know, not a bright enough future. Or... Um, I don't know if this future is going to continue. Yeah, at some point, I got to see it us just turning into some kind of a quick walkthrough inspection. You know, it's going to the data. Yeah, it's interesting with your years of experience. You could probably do that pretty easily. Right? Yeah, I mean, we were, we were worried back in two thousand and three when the the short form came out, the twenty fifty five. I mean, that was nothing. It took us an hour to fill it out. We were just basically walking through houses, three quick comps, very few adjustments. Yeah. Send it in. They didn't want anything. Not it the was just yeah. yeah, they've gone the poke pendulum. Your head up, poke your head down. Yep. Yeah, I mean, that's... 200 sheets of paper. Yep. 1,000 pictures. Why didn't you use this comp? Oh, God. Yep. You got to type up an email. Yep, that's... That's yep. a good question. How many hours do you think you have into every appraisal? Or, or an average, because I know some are worse than others. Four to five hours wow. per appraisal. That's with modern technology, too. Yep. Yeah, it's it hasn't changed. It took me four to five hours... Back in the day. So they just have you doing a shit ton more stuff now. You're just doing way more stuff. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, back then, it's three, you know, three pictures, front and rear and street, three comp photos, fill out the form. That was it. We got so much stuff we got to do now. And plus, the technology's there. We have to do our analysis, you know, the MC form yeah. and all that. That's all, you know, they say the technology's takes us less time, but they've added, it does. I mean, obviously I'm not, you know, making a map, making a program, all that overheads, but that's the problem. You know, you, I you get... learn how to use all the software, too. Yeah, and then cost, cost of that. It costs money. Like I said, you know, two grand to get going just with regular photos before I could even start, you know, kind of deal. But, you know, in the long run, they say, oh, yeah, now you guys can do them in... But no, we got to, you know, and of course the, you know, the bank, lo oh, look, you look at the overhead, half mile away, there's a factory, you know, comment on that. Well, it's a half mile away when you're on the ground, you know, you can't see it. You don't yeah. know where it's at. You don't know it's there. You can't hear it. There's nothing. But oh, you see it in the overhead because, you know, some airplanes flying over 20,000 feet. 
fucking satellite maps ruin it too. You yeah, know, everywhere. Yeah, you know, where everything's at. Yeah, which is fine too, and that's what I mean. I don't think there's going to come a time where they're going to be able to look at that kind of stuff and figure everything out. And that was going to be my next question. And at some point, they're just going to database all of this, aren't they? Well, in Wayne County, unless they fix it, you can forget it. Because they're going off of public records. That's terrible, yeah. And well, it's let's all... Let's go with Oakland County. Let's go with, like, some... Even in Oakland County. Well, all of Michigan. Their recording process is all the same. Yeah. Um, you know, quick claim deeds, sheriff deeds, they're all sales. They don't even put the right date in. They The sale date is when they record it. The deed date is the actual sale date. Yeah. So, I mean, they can... They can quick claim it. You know, I've had banks go, why don't you use this sale? Duh. They must have refinanced it because they just, they just recorded it. It sold three years ago. Yeah, refinance is not a sale, people. Yeah, and that's what it looks like. And that's that's on there. But, you know, Michigan, I don't think will ever get, in some states like California, they got they could do it right now. Yeah. That was, I mean, everything's There's right a big there. difference between the West Coast and the Midwest yep. as far as, and that's one thing I've never figured out. Out west, mostly out west, not completely. Everything closes in escrow. Nothing happens. Everything's recorded. None of the money is actually transferred until deeds and tie. Yeah, it's stuff. all done. Yeah. Here it's kind of like we're kind of like living in the past a little bit. Yeah. I, I can't quite figure out why we haven't. You been go to the job. east coast; it's even harder because all that stuff is you go to rock number three over here and all that. The legals can get so yeah. muckled up because you're using natural boundaries and not. You know, everything. They're still using the British system. You know, I got a friend out there. It's just crazy. That's going to suck. You know, at least we're, you know, we're into the, after they did all the the meets and bounds and, you know, the the graphing system, you know, North Township, NT1 and, you know, all that. Not as bad out here. No. Well, heading, heading to the future, what do you... You got a long time. I don't see you retiring either. So ten years, ten years, maybe. Well, I don't. I don't think I'll ever retire. No. But there's a cost point where you know, obviously, it costs me X amount of dollars to keep my license up, keep all this yeah. data. I can probably drop down to twenty-five hours a week and keep going. You know, in about ten years, I see that. I don't ever see dropping below that unless I become a, you know, hit the lotto. And get your flip business going back again. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, it's a, you know, it's a catch-22, you know. Yes, I, this, it yeah. Which do I make more money at? Which is easier? This is, you know, the flip is nice. I mean, I could, doing both at the same time, forget it. Because when I was doing both at the same time, it was seven days a week. Four days for flipping, three days for appraising. That's just the way it was. There was no days off. No I days mean, off. No, nope, nope. And the weekends, I had the whole family out there, and it was just work, work, work. You know. See, so that was your plan. You you inoculated your family with hard work and house flipping. And well, yeah, the same with but yeah. I told my children, you know, they they've got that foundation. I told them, I you know, I can help you out, buy the house, and do basically the same thing if you're willing to, you know. Put the sweat equity into it. It's a great way to do it. Well, you know, they, they saw it. My wife, you know, I got we got new granite in our house because yeah. my wife, oh, their kitchen's better than ours now. 
why can't we do this at home? <laughs> no, this is income. This is how we're making money. We yeah. do this at home, and that's how we're spending money. <laughs> the money's going the wrong way, wifey. We want it going into our bank account, not out. But no, we could, yep, but, you know, that's just the way it, you know. Putting granite in was the right thing to do because now everybody's got granite. When I first bought that house, nobody had granite, but no. granite's the end thing. And you better have granite now if the house is over 150. Yeah, seems like it's kind of we we did a good job. We did everything ourselves except for cutting and putting in the granite. You know, we tore everything out, did everything. We did everything. We put well. You've seen it, yeah. all the ceramic backsplash and all that. And that looks great. You know, that's all doing that ourselves. <laughs> Beautiful. I'm doing more and more of that stuff mm-hmm. myself. Do you do any? How do you do? You do any tracking in your in your business? Like how many calls you got to make to get an appraisal deal, or or how do you manage all that? Like um, now, whiteboard, chalkboard, like clipboards. I got I got I got screws all the way around the the office. Okay, I'll take you in there when we're done and show you. Clipboard. Okay. Yep, every clipboard for every file. But no, I got about five lenders I work for. I mean, I could pick up more or less um it's just what they send me i do zero marketing i've never done marketing wow. for my appraisal other than besides networking right yeah, yeah. yeah networking and that's i mean what i do with you is the only that's it that is it wow i have never ever everything's word of mouth and referral there's no i have no marketing at all it's like some old school beat in the street, shaking hands, smiling. Yeah, in the old days, it's just you walk in and, like you said, drop off appraisals, pick more up. Do you a know. good job and hopefully get long, Yeah, that's long until, like I said, the market started changing and then they were looking for people that could hit the number, which I've never been one of those. You know, you do it right. And, but, you know, I know a lot of appraisers that were that way back then. They're yeah. gone. They got blacklisted. They got... Uh, wiped out. They got sued by the state. They had to make you know payments and lost their licenses. And, yeah, you know I'm in it for some the long. I'm sure way. even went to jail. The uh, none that I know of. But yes, yeah, we've had some right? discussions about. And I've done lawyer work for. I'll take that back. I did advertise for two years in the lawyer news, and it got me absolutely zero response. Nothing. Huh? Nothing. Yeah, I got word of mouth stuff. I still work for three or four lawyers, but that's not steady work. That's one here, one there. But, uh, yeah, if the mortgage business ever went under, I'd have to figure out something else to do because I still do the desktops. But, you know, I get a lot from that, but I still, people still got my, you know, a lot of the people back from 10 years ago are getting back into it. They are. And they call me up, and you know I get that, and I just get off. You know I do have a web page, so oh, what is your web page? It's uh, dmvaluation.net. Dmvaluation.net. Yep. Also, you can go to deska d e s k a david d a v i d at hotmail.com. Do you have a Office number or business number? Yeah, that's the same one for 20 years. 734? 734. 524. 524. 6100. 6100. So I highly recommend you reach out. I've been, I've known 
David since 2008. Did a bunch of stuff together. Yeah. It was awesome. We worked together. Just becoming the RDI. I think this has been good. This is, see, you're all worried about it. I, I told you this would be a good podcast. Yeah, just like I said, one-on-one. It's, don't, don't look at the camera. Yeah, don't look at the camera. <laughs> so you won't even notice it. I think that was, that was really good. Yeah, because good. they wanted me to go on WGR. Go, no, no, no. This will be fine. Yeah, Dave Deska, ladies and gentlemen. Deska, D-E-S-K-A, David, D-A-V-I-D, at Hotmail.com. Yeah, I do those desktops, so. $85 for a desktop, 734-524-6100, or go to dmvaluations.net. Regular appraisals, your, 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 whatever you want, valuations. Yeah, I do the desktop, like I said, do a lot of state, do, yeah. unfortunately, do divorces. Uh, yeah, you know. Do, you know. They're in a storm in a port. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast, please, please share it across the internet. It's a like. If you have a comment or a suggestion, go ahead and send me a message. Go to either renegadedetroit.com. Yes, I realize the website has not been updated. I'm working on it. Or go to meetup.com forward slash renegade Detroit investors. We post our monthly meeting there. Or go to facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. You can also find me on YouTube at Detroit Wholesalers. Look up the username. Or find me on Twitter at Jeremy Burgess. Dave, thank you. I appreciate it. No uh, problem. This was great. It was fun. And um, you think I can have you back sometime? Sure. I don't know what we're going to talk about. I think oh, we covered some, it. I had lots of stuff I didn't even get to talk about. That's and true. I, 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 always, I like this. I like this old school... Um, and for those who, who've never read it, I'm not a huge fan of Robert Allen, but if you go and read um, his book, Creating Wealth with Real Estate, by Robert G. Allen, and if you're having a hard time following along with assuming mortgages and some of the creative financing we talked about with real estate, um, if you read that book, it'll be more clear. And I think that's why I have such so much fun talking with Dave. And yeah, that's, that's that's definitely old school. I don't that's some old school yeah, stuff that's... right there. You know, when I remember reading that book, going, "Gee, I wish I could do that." And, well, back even back, my dad. I mean, back in the day, he sold his house, land contract, ten percent. Yeah, that was how everybody did it. Old Nobody school. got mortgages because the mortgage rate was like fifteen percent. Yeah, you're sure. On a, on a home mortgage. If you want to know where the due on sale clause came from, uh, this would be it. Yeah, high interest rates in the late seventies. And early to mid-80s, that's what led to this. And now, specifically, almost every single banking institution has a do-on-sale and no-assumable-on. VA, I think, is the only thing that... And you you got to be VA to VA, and it's got to be special circumstances, so... You know, but yeah, there's the, yeah, back in the day, that's I love these back in the day stories. Yeah, because I remember creativity, my, you know. Yeah, my, I remember my dad talking about a lot of everybody would assume a mortgage, so you could assume that when you assumed it, you got the people before you, you know, you're 15 years in, you got that yeah. 15 year got a head start, yeah, kind of deal. So, but the bank that's was money loser to the bank. Oh, so. yeah. When you got money out at four, five, six percent. You don't want then twenty percent. I think yeah. high. That's yeah. Yeah. That's where all that, like you said, all came in. So it's all fresh start stuff now, and that's unfortunate because people. I think the mentality from back then, you could assume. So when you moved, you could actually assume and still be on that thirty yeah. year. Not anymore. That yeah track, and now yeah, you gotta 
The times have changed. Well, don't worry. We will have Dave back. Go to Deska, <laughs> David at gmail.com, dmvaluations.net, 734-524-6100. Thank you, Dave. I yep. appreciate it. All right. Very Thank good. you for your time. I'll yep. have you back. And uh, for all those listening, please like and share. And if you have any comments or suggestions, leave them. Once again, my name is Jeremy Burgess, and thanks for tuning in today for the fourth Renegade Detroit Investors podcast, and I'll catch you guys next week. Thanks.